Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 170th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that told you you were getting Commander Masters without quite knowing how soon that would come. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. How are you this week? Another busy, 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 busy week in MTG Finance, my friend. I wouldn't know. I uh, I moved in to my brand new house uh, officially as of last weekend and only just got my computer plugged in like five days ago and then proceeded to go out of town for four days. Uh, so I've been I've been aware of it on Twitter, but not as participatory as I would have liked. It has been a, a lucrative week, I think. It's nice to settle into your your first place that is just yours. Uh, just... I wouldn't know. We are definitely not settled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when all the projects are done. Yeah, I have, I don't know, 15 cardboard boxes full of cards, and they're all just, like, just sitting in the middle of rooms as I try and work on the walls around them, and, like, we can't un- really unpack half of the stuff because, like, every surface of the house has to be painted. So it's it's kind of a mess right now, and it's frustrating because, like, I, I turned my CCG player store back on, and I kind of winced as I did it because I knew if like stuff started selling, I was gonna have to like dig all this crap out and deal with it. And I can't add anything to my inventory because like my like spec box sort of is buried, and I don't want to dig it out. So it's like oh, I hope I don't have any awesome like slivers in there that I miss the opportunity to sell. But I do. I know I do. So yeah, and we we've got a two week trip to Europe coming up at the end of June, and it wasn't really a big deal to have like friends or family ship out some stuff for me. <laughs> if it sold while I was gone last time we were there. But when you're doing like a few thousand a week, it's a little different. So going to need to hire an assistant or something shortly. Yeah, that's, you know, asking somebody to come over and throw two cards in an envelope for you is one thing. Be like, yep. here's the 17 orders I have to have filled today. <laughs> yeah. like... Here, here's the, here's the, the workstation and yep. all the supplies. Um, your lunch break will be at 1 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to Brenda and HR about your benefits. <laughs> All right. Our show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this evening? Uh, This week, James, we have a show in four parts. Segment one, uh, probably the meat of the show here, our top movers. We have, by the looks of it, uh, 54 cards that jumped and, in price and, by... And, hmm? And that's a fully curated list. We've already cut yeah, that down. Yeah, I think when I pasted it in, it was like 75 or something like that. And I had to trim some stuff, so it is pretty wild this week. Uh, segment two are cards to watch. James and I will run through some cards that we think have positive outlooks. Segment three, our metagame week in review. This week we have a, wait, where did it go? Here we go. Uh, the SCG Open, Modern Open in Louisville. 
And segment four, uh, if we get to it, our topic of the week, the latest Horizon spoilers. Uh, let's jump in here at the top. Segment one, our top movers, first card of the week. Uh, this is going to be a theme. Synapse Sliver foils out of legions, uh, 13 or so to about 25 for a double up. Synapse Sliver is one of probably 15 slivers on this list, 20 slivers on this list this week. Uh, on the announcement of uh, Sliver, the first Sliver, which gives all your slivers cascade. Um, and in case you were curious, yes, that is as good as you want it to be. Because when you, it's all your slivers have cascade and cascade doesn't check from hand. So if you cast a four mana sliver and it cascades into a three mana sliver, that also has cascade and it will keep going. So you could theoretically live the dream of like five and the four and the three and the two and the one. Um, so, but we're going to, we're going to have these come up a lot this week. Yeah, I mean, we guys will run through all the rest of them. It's all part of the same theme, as you said. Gale Rider Sliver uh, non-foil is going from $6 to $12. Um, I think that Sliver is going to hold its four of position in the adjusted version of the modern deck, even though there is now a red-white Sliver that provides haste and flying. Uh, I think that one-drops are still at a premium in the deck, and Gale Rider should still be in reasonably high demand. Venom yeah, Sliver... I- I'm sorry, I'm just going to ch- chime in real quick. That I- I'm pretty sure Gale Rider Sliver was the most expensive modern legal sliver like that you would play in in the you know in the deck like in a modern deck not like you know sliver overlord or whatever sedge sliver was the most expensive um, was it because it was older yeah okay Um, well gale rider i would say is the most modern legal relevant sliver uh it is now because i think sedge might lose its slot yeah and i don't even think sedge was either to be fair i think Gal- like if you wanted to build a competitive slivers deck you were basically guaranteed starting with four gal riders and it's not getting reprinted here so that is definitely the biggest gainer here um and also the one i think that was probably the hardest to make money on at the outset because it already started at like six or seven bucks but uh sorry you may go ahead you may go ahead i just wanted to chime in on that one i've already sold a few play sets of foils um for a double up uh so the, yeah. the foils have definitely jumped the Venom Sliver going from $3 to 7 in foil. That was a Magic 2015 Sliver. Hibernation Sliver, the premium deck series version. These were kind of shunned for a long time because they have foiling that is uh, closer to FTV than anything else. Um, but even the several of the key cards from there have gone up, including Hibernation going from $1 to $2. Um, Sliver Overlord, more importantly, the PDS version going from 15 to 40 I've sold multiple of those uh, near 50 so that price is very real. Um, Sliver Overlord, the Scourge version, also up in the mid-40s from 16, so both of those for 150% plus gains. Um, We saw Synapse Sliver go from 6 to 20 in non-foil version. Um, That's a Legion's card again. Uh, Predatory Sliver from Magic 2014, that's a Muscle Sliver variant going from 5 to 18 in foil. I have sold, sold some of those as well. Dormant Slivers from Planar Chaos, that's more of an EDH Sliver going from 6 to 25. Mana Weft Slivers going from 5 to 20 plus in foil uh, for over 350% gains. I sold multiple playsets of those uh, in and around $40 to $50, I think. So a little below what it's supposedly holding. Um, I've noticed the Slivers were selling a lot faster and hollowing out quicker on TCG than they were on eBay. Um, I think just people tend to, people that are plugged in tend to shop TCG a bit more than eBay. Um, is my impression over time. 
Siphon Sliver Foils from 2014, also moving uh, from 7 to 35 for a 400% gain. I've sold some of those around 15 so I don't know how real a $30 price tag is, but I guess we'll see. Diffusion Slivers, um, looks like a couple of those probably still fit into the modern deck, going from $1 to $4 for a 400% plus gain. Um, and then Homing Sliver from Future Sight, Foils going from $3 to 20 for 600% gains. Um, bottom line is that Slivers have been very profitable for those that are holding um, also probably worth addressing the, uh, well, not the elephant in the room. Cliff and I already talked about it a bit last week, but people accusing, because I, when people started talking about how slivers had moved early, earlier than their announcement for Modern Horizons, and I stuck up my hand to argue the point that nobody necessarily, you know, had perfect information, saw specific cards that were included or had a set list or, you know, had a direct contact from wizards or whatever the, you know, the assumptions people have made. Um, I then became the lightning rod for the entire topic <laughs> because people assumed that that meant I was arguing on my own behalf and that I had all the key information. And the reality is that we figured out early on that, for instance, that snow was probably indicated by the five uh, cards they announced during the initial stream in February, um, probably being basic lands. And if they're basic lands and they're doing a, a weird set, then probably that means there's snow lands and if there's snow lands we're getting a snow theme we didn't know how big the snow theme was or anything along the way we managed to at least get confirmation from the rumor mill that that probably made sense ditto with slivers ditto with ninjas ditto with um what else do we hear about various points along the way i mean certainly at least 30 or 40 percent of the sub themes in horizons were floating around out there and just because the general public never heard those rumors doesn't mean that they weren't you know prevalent in the industry i saw weird prices on cards that shouldn't have moved at various you know major vendors around the world way earlier than announcements so safe to say that with this set as with almost any set in magic and really any collectible in the world industry knowledge will run ahead of public knowledge um, the extent to which that affects you as a player depends on whether the card that you decided you wanted after the reveal went up before you got a chance to get it. And I can totally understand people's frustration there, but honestly, I our stance on this at MGG Price is pretty clear. If we get an actual spoiler, if somebody sends us a card list or internal documentation from Wizards or an email or a picture of a card that looks real, we have agreed we will pass that on to Wizards of the Coast and they can pursue those leaks to the best of their ability. But if some dude randomly logs onto Twitter and from an anonymous account says to me, hey, my friend of my friend says that maybe slivers are in the set, there isn't a whole lot we can do with that. There's not much wizards can do with that. And if the question then becomes, should that be actionable? Like, is it ethical for us to buy cards on that premise? I would argue that we take on risk um, to get involved with those rumors. Not every rumor we heard uh, about Modern Horizons ended up in the set or ended up in the set in a way that was actionable. And... You know, every player is going to have to make their own judgment call as to what they want to do with that kind of info. Well, we uh, we faced that um, for sure with this one where we, you know, had... First of all, you take on risk no matter what because even if you have... If you have anyone short of Forsyth himself come and tell you, oh, guess what, guys? Sliver's in this set. It's like, sure. That's... I can believe you to some extent. I can re I can believe that you're very likely correct, but like... You don't actually know, so you take on risk no matter what you do when you buy without it having already been posted on the official Wizards webpage. 
Um, even if it looks like the card is, even if you get a leaked picture and it looks super legitimate, like you report it to wizards, you still don't know for sure. Right. Um, and there, in fact, in this one, we knew ninjas was coming or we, we had a really good read on ninjas and I don't even think I bought anything. Like I remember like, Oh, maybe if ninjas is showing up, I should go peek around. Then it was like, eh, Higure is like the only card you would consider and it's not even worth it because if this is wrong, then it's, you know, it's just kind of a waste. So I, I mean, those, that was one that I feel like we had a good read on and I didn't even bother with it because the risk wasn't worth it. Well, ninjas didn't really, a lot of them had already spiked on Yuriko last year. Um, right. Well, that's the point is that, like it wasn't worth chasing any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I'm unboxing my stuff from Europe to, tomorrow night on Twitch and people will see that I indeed have a bunch like, I label all of my specs that when they come out of these boxes so people can see exactly when I bought them and what I paid and you're gonna see slivers come out of that box that I was buying as early as in March um because that's about when I figured out that this set is going to be tribal rumors came later that seemed to confirm some of the theories that were floating around in our discord but it wasn't that hard to figure out once we knew that yeah this looks kind of it's going to be weird. It's going to be tribal. We think they're going to fill in gaps in modern. The five basic lands looked like they were probably snow lands. You know, we were thinking that the buy a box was counterspell at one point. Then maybe I thought maybe it was force of will, but that seemed too crazy. Then people said flusterstorm and other things. And yeah, like, sure, down the road. But within like before, maybe two weeks before Modern Horizons, we pretty much had flusterstorm pinned down. Like there, it, we had heard the rumor enough from enough different sources that it seemed likely to be true. Um, because those buy boxes were floating around in vendor hands um, and in the hands of people that are one or two steps removed from wizards. So understand that that stuff is, it's out there. It's out there every time. And you, the best you can do is to pay attention to the people that are discussing this stuff on various financial casts and on, you know, casts that are covering magic news and try to stay on top of it. We talked about almost all of this stuff at various points along the way and flagged slivers that were moving early. We flagged snow cards that were moving early. We made calls that were related to it that seemed like they had a decent chance. Um, Most of the stuff that showed up in Horizons had a very good chance of being there and people were talking about it. So if you were paying attention, you had a shot to get in early. I agree. Uh, this is getting boring. Who cares? If you're listening to this, you're, you're not going to be upset. Yeah, you're not upset with, with any of this. And if you're not listening to this, then you're not. You're the type of person who we're not going to reach. So let's move on with our lives. Let's pick another something else dumb to argue about. Extra planar lens out of mirrored in foils from 50 to 100. Um, and this covered the expeditions and the non-foils too. It's kind of all over the place. So... Extra planar lens is jumping based on snow lands. Um, extra planar lens makes no sense to me. Like the theory here is that if I run snow basics, I can use extra planar lens on my lands and I get the benefit from lens and my opponents don't. If you've ever cast extra planar lens before, like your opponents getting extra mana out of it is like the least of all of your concerns. Like it's just, it was, it's never felt relevant. It's not good. It's not relevant in modern. Like it doesn't matter in modern whatsoever. The only, and you do it in EDH, but like people run, um, it's only, is it only basics? I think, right. Or does it the duels? Like it's the amount of impact with the same name, right? So you, you basically have to exile basics because it's, uh only cards with the same name um so like you exile like your basic forest 
and then only other people's basic forests produce extra mana. Like, okay, like how many of those are at the table that aren't yours? I, I don't know. It just seems so silly uh, to think that this is suddenly going to be a huge deal because you get to run Snowlands and possibly block your opponents from getting the same deal because, remember, they can also run Snowlands and get it as well. Uh, <clears throat> having said that, it jumped, doubled up. And you'll probably sell copies at above what it was before. I don't doubt that. Oh, I, I just want to. I sold out of all my remaining masterpieces eh. within two days of that hype cycle. The, and and, you and think- I did. And I and I did. I sold. I sold an MPS copy at like 110 bucks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and this goes to goes to show the the old adage here that it doesn't the the card whatever information you're acting on uh, doesn't have to make the card good. It just has to make people think the card's good. That's enough. Um, so this is the type of card that you could be like, wow, there's no way this will work, but people will still buy it and you'll make money off of it. And that's okay. But I just had to get that out there. Like this is dumb. And if you're buying this because you think it's good, you're dumb. The hype cycle is like a spotlight and whatever it is shining upon is likely to sell. And that's why you don't wait around to see if the card is good later. You just sell into that hype and keep moving. And it's interesting because, um, at least one MTG finance writer put out an article this week, attempting to distance themselves from naked speculation and which was kind of odd given the name of the website they write for and the one of the points made was something along the lines of that's like selling to people in those hype cycles is taking advantage of people's fomo (laughs) and and i was just like are you fucking kidding me like caveat emptor like the buyer beware the we are this is a hobby mostly made up of adults and um, especially if you are well invested in in the for- your formats of choice, you understand how magic works. You you know that cards, you know th- that there is a triangulation between current demand and long term demand, and how likely the card is to see a reprint, whether it's reserve list or not, um, whether it's hard to print into the format in question or not, um, when the last time it got reprinted was, what its rarity is, et cetera, et cetera, and it cannot be the vendor's responsibility. And when you, people talk about MTG Finance people, they talk about them as though they are somehow a separate animal from vendors. When in reality, especially when you're comparing them to an online vendor, like say an eBay dealer, like a Kid Icarus or whatever, it's a, it's the same thing, but on a smaller scale. Like you can make the argument that an LGS contributes to the community in a way that a, somebody who just buys and sells magic product does not. But that doesn't invalidate the legitimacy of running a business, buying and selling things. <laughs> like it's in many ways the most fundamental form of commerce to attempt to identify something that somebody will think is more valuable later and then buy some and then sell it to them when the when the supply has dropped. It does not mean you're taking advantage of anybody. There are no ethical dilemmas there. You, you are buying and selling a card. As long as you're not lying to anybody or obfuscating information or um, trying to be sneaky or take advantage of somebody um, on the basis that they have no idea what's going on. Like if you walk up to somebody and say, you should buy this card, it's going to be $100 tomorrow. And they say, really? Are you sure? And you're like, yeah, totally. But you believe it's going to be $5 tomorrow? Then yeah, you're, you're doing something terrible. But if you post a card online for sale, like you, you, you bought a Sliver Queen on vague rumors in March and you post it for $200 and someone buys it and then they buy it again and somebody else buys it and somebody else buys it. That's a reflection of the fact that people want to buy Sliver decks. The card is on the reserve list and it may never come down again. Now, it probably will retrace some, but then later it will go push back up to that level again. 
Like, I would bet you by end of summer, you'll be able to find 150, 160, 180 Sliver Queens, right? When the when the spotlight shifts again. It's like but, 180 right now low on TCG. Yeah. But, like, every time you, you go through one of these plateau cycles, you will see a retrace. And, and no one's forcing you to buy Sliver Queen during a hype week. You can wait four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and see if you even really want to be building that deck. But you can't make vendors responsible for what people want to buy or not buy and how they assess their their own their own relative utility of one object versus another. I mean, I just find that whole argument to be just ridiculous. <laughs> yes, that's also this is another one of those. If you're listening, you're already on board. And if you're not, all of this feels like it misses the mark. Um, yeah. All right, moving right along then. Nimble Nimble <laughs> Mongoose on uh, from Odyssey foils going from thirty dollars to sixty five. It got reprinted. I don't think it's going to be good in modern. I th- would want to be exiting on that tit suite. Um, Grand Architect foils from Scars of Mirrodin from eight to seventeen. I think people are thinking like with Urza. The thing is that the Urza deck versions I've seen proposed for modern, like they were playing on Star City Games today on Twitch. Um, we're based around like Sword of the Meek Thopter Foundry and Grand Ar- Architect doesn't breaks that combo. Um, it no longer functions because the Thopters are too big. Um, so I could still see Grand Architect catching some splash interest from Urza in Commander, but I don't think that's the way you would be going for modern. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that, that this is, you've already given it too much thought. Like, I think it's just, oh, this is a thing that's similar to this other thing. It will be good now. Sure. It was my read on that. Nether Spirit was announced as being reprinted out of Mercadian Masks, so original foils went from 11 to 25. Uh, it's unclear to me whether any deck in Modern wants this card at this point. If, um, if it, I'm going to talk about this. Go ahead. And in, in my in segment two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. So, sort of the meek. Uh, I think this is very real. Um, Future Sight non foils going from like eight to 16 or 17. This thing is like. This combo was banned for a while in Modern, then they unbanned it, and it did nothing. Um, and it occasionally pops its head up, and Urza is the later latest impetus for that to take place again. Um, this time, I think the critical mass is there. I think this deck is likely to be real, um, especially once the Matt Nasses of the world get their hands on it and start tweaking it and refining it, and eventually it just pops up in a top eight here or there. Um, yeah, the- and, the, and the other half of Sword of the Meek here is a Goblin Engineer, too. Because now you have a efficient tutor for both halves that also sure. can pull either half out of the graveyard, which isn't obviously that relevant for Sword of the Meek, but it matters a great deal for the Thopter Foundry itself because you can tutor for Thopter Foundry and then pull it out of the graveyard if it gets destroyed. Um, so kind of having that additional redundancy is very useful to the deck. And, I, you know, I, I think that there's probably the pieces for this to work as a deck now. Um, even with all the artifact hate available to players at this point. Um, but I at this point, I also don't think that it's too good. Um, like paying one life for a 1-1 one, one, and one life is very good. But like, is it better than all the other stuff you can do? Eh. Eh. So I, I think that this could both, I think it's a probably, a, probably a solid tier three or two, tier two deck, maybe. And that's like best case scenario. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I think this has a chance to go tier 1.5 or tier one. Um, I think people are underestimating how nasty um, recursive cheap artifacts are going to be with Urza and the Thopter combo and maybe Goblin Engineer. Uh, There's just a lot of fresh pieces 
and those decks were already pretty nasty um, to the point where a variant of such in the form of KCI was doing so well that it basically had to be banned out of existence. And well, now they're adding K- some more power into the recursive artifact. Uh, but didn't KCI that- kill, just go infinite and then kill? There, like, there, it, are, it didn't- there are ways to recurse and, and get crazy, but there is a two. Could, well, but I'm thinking, so I don't think, first of all, I'll say I don't think sort of the meek deck plays Urza, or if it does, it plays one. And I think that the the general um, operating, point of operation for the sort of the meek combo is you pay one mana, you get a one, one, and you get one life. Like that's, and that was the combo back in the day. And I think that that's still probably the standard, your standard, like, oh, I got there condition is you have that online, you get to do that. Which is good. Don't get me wrong. One mana for a one one and one life is a solid rate that you can do for all of your mana. But like you put that together on turn three or four, it's solid. But your opponent is putting Primeval Titan in the play at twenty power with Trample and Haste, and it's like, mm, okay, you can make two life and have two one ones. Here's twenty damage. So it's just sort of like, I mean, if you you I feel like the combo has to be upgraded to either. Uh, a stronger control shell that really locks your opponent out of the game before it bothers to finish with Sword of the Meek. And it uses that combo as sort of a stall tactic while it takes control of the game and then uses it to finish with, which is probably the most realistic situation. Or it puts together an unlimited combo of some part, and that's where the Urza comes in. Um, But I guess I'm not... I, I don't think either of those is reliant, resilient enough to become Tier 1, but I mean, now we're just conjecturing and neither of us are right for Star City, so... Yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I I, yeah. I have spider senses at like max for all of that action, like Urza and Thopter and and sort of the Meek and things that can happen there and how additional pieces that show up over time will just reinforce it. I predict it gets there. Um, Primal Surge from Avacyn Restored foils going from about ten dollars to twenty for a double up, probably on the back of Slivers and the first Sliver. Cloudstone Curio uh, Masterpieces um, going from 65 to over 140 in theory. I think this is based on people thinking that Elves was going to get a couple of key pieces uh, printed into Modern that would allow the um, Cloudstone Curio version of Elves to kind of appear, like manifest in the format. We haven't seen those cards yet. The latest card we got this afternoon was uh, one that I predicted with half an hour to spare um, a 3-3 three, three, triple green taps for 3-3. Three, All right. Green. All right. I- I'm going to give you a hard time on this one. Go for it. When Dana said, what do you get when you combine a group of land war elves? Uh-huh. There were only two cards that could have come out of that out of that hint. It was what you said, just staple three land war elves together. How do you know it was and three? Because the- she said uh, no, she it didn't. was a term she used. No, she said when you when you put a bunch. Sure. So you would you assume a bunch is more than two, but three is like the the probable guess right three three is the most likely guess there or in the other the other version was the one i got which i kind of guessed like tongue-in-cheek which was a sorcery that made three land war elf tokens which i did not actually think was true so i just want to say like there was there was a huge target on that card as printed if you think that i think that that call makes me special. <laughs> You're well wide of the mark. <laughs> well, like, to me, I know this how... is like this is cutesy tongue and shit, tongue and cheek social media bullshit. Like I, I know how many of our listeners are sitting here yelling at their monitors, going when you say stuff like that, and I feel like I'm giving a voice to the listeners fair. when I step in and be like, okay, 
Come yeah, on. For, for those of you that think that my I actually take an ego stroke off that, think again. Um, <laughs> the, I, I, I saw a couple of our pro traders, too, talking about Cloudstone Curioso. Honest to God, this could just be them. Um, and I agree. Yeah, the pieces aren't there, but hey, Godspeed. Well, I mean, what we've seen with like the mid-tier and lower mid-tier masterpieces is they're they're all getting there. It took them yeah. longer, but extra planar lens making us a bunch of money. Clouds and Curio making us a bunch of money. There are um, Rings of Bright Hearth. Uh, you know, Paradox Engine took off several months ago, but had languished for a long time before that. The <clears throat> masterpieces have been just the gift that never stops giving. Um, so we've got Pillage reprinted into modern now. Seventh edition foils going from like twenty five or so to fifty. Snapped some of those off in Europe when that was announced. Not clear where the market is going to appear around them because i'm not convinced pillage is a card that's going to see significant play in modern ponza i guess mm. but yeah i i have to imagine ponza goes after this because it's land or artifact but i don't know who, who else would want this like i can't fathom like some sort of big red deck maybe because it allows you to play your game your main game plan against most opponents which is like mana denial but also has has outs against like lantern control or whatever but i agree i don't think that there's going to be a a pillage is not going to become like a top, even a top 100 spell in modern i don't think this is one of those cases where you go shallow like i bought two yeah and you go cheap like you if you can get it below the manifest market rate at the time where the spike is occurring like you're looking at europe and they've got some copies at 16 and the lowest on tcg is 25 and there's only three left sure snap off a couple copies you'll get them in hand in a month or two you'll put them on ebay they'll sit there for anywhere from a month to 12 months you'll make solid returns but that's not anywhere you want to be deep because the card just isn't it's not clear to me the card actually has solid demand for modern now uh unwinding clock out of new phyrexia and the commander product both non-foils and foils uh well there's only the one foil and two non-foil printings i think everyone jumped the non-foils from new phyrexia five to ten uh this is all based on urza which untaps all your lands and or your artifacts and your artifacts tap for mana so it's an nifty combo um i would still be selling my copies here because uh i mean that's good and anyone who plays Urza in EDH would want to put an unwinding clock in their deck. I don't imagine Urza becomes a wildly popular commander because monocolor commanders usually aren't. Um, but yeah, that's what that is. Fifth on uh, our Steel Shaper's gift out of fifth on foils thirteen to thirty. Um, that's we got the new swords, so there's new equipment. So people bought up Steel Shaper's gifts, which is was already you know money on the table. Essentially, that card is ancient and is from Fifth Dawn, has no reprintings in foil, so that was also uh, was not going to take much to move. And I bet if we went through our history, possibly from last year, I think one of us picked this. Yep, I think so too. I think it might have been you. Um, Unwinding Clock buy list is already five to six dollars, um, and I disagree. I, I think Urza's biggest challenge in Commander is that he's too good, not that people don't want to build him. Um, he's going to be hard to build in a detuned way that still leverages all of his synergies without just breaking open the game too often and pissing people off. Mm. The other thing, though, about Urza is that he slots into every other artifact deck. So if you're playing Brea or whatever else, you know, Brea being one of the top five commanders of all time, um, Urza slots right in there. He's perfect. Like he, his synergies with artifact decks are legion. So Ur Urza's... Urza is going to be a force in Commander for years. 
Um, an unwinding clock to to me, given that they just reprinted it in Commander twenty eighteen, uh, and is probably safe from reprint for four to five years, I would guess, is well positioned to sell through in the next three months. Commander players tend to lag on these kind of staples that make sense in the deck but aren't super flashy. And I bet people will be selling these all summer long. Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt it. I guess I just like, you know, what would you really be holding out for? Like, are you shooting for $20 on unwinding clocks? I don't know. I guess maybe for the non-foiled. It's kind of high, but eh, maybe, maybe. So next on the list, we had Reaper King from Shadowmoor. Foils going from 40 to like $100. This is on people realizing that with Morophon the Boundless... You can now basically have a colorless commander that works with any tribe. And I Morophon is going to end up on our pick list. I'm yeah. sure of it. Because it's so it is we always say go after open-ended cards that have future forward synergy. And this card is the new poster child for this premise. Every it doesn't matter what tribe you have, you've got a commander now for it that will make it work out for you more or less. And it won't work really well with every single tribe. But it's going to work with 15, 20, or 25 tribes over the next couple of years. And we'll only get have more options as time goes on. So when I see these foils come down to any kind of reasonable level, I don't know what that level is yet. Like, they're pretty high right now. Um, but when I see them look like they're hitting like the bottom near peak, peak supply, I will definitely be snapping off a whole bunch. Uh, yeah, I don't want to buy ever buy that card because it just it does not seem good to me and people are gonna like the average tribe is probably roughly two colors maybe splashes into three so like he does so little for most tribes because he's only reducing their mana cost by like one and the rest of his text isn't really that great uh so i'm pretty pretty lukewarm on more on tron but more I also be- i know i know what i said <laughs> But I also believe that uh, there will come a time where he's probably worth picking up. Yep. All right. So I mean, Reaper King is the whole thing is people are thinking like tribal scarecrows. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't be my choice to build around. But, but. Right. And if you're going to do that, why wouldn't you already play Reaper King, who's infinitely better as a commander for scarecrows than Morontron is? Like. All right, so Hagari. I'm, I'm waving my hand. I'm waving my hand in the air. Hagari, the steel, the still wind plane chase uh, from four to ten dollars on the back of ninjas showing up. Haven't been any more excited about ninjas than I have been about snow cards. Although we do have some new ones that we'll talk about from today's reveals for the, on at least the snow side of things that have me a little more interested. And I guess there's a couple of interesting ninjas now. Um, Kess Dissident Mage from Commander 2017. The foils going from seven to twenty, um, reprinted into modern. Um, interesting because a lot of players were probably, you know, were not interested in the card because it was only available in a bad commander foil and would have been a marked card. So it's not even clear that the foils, um, the original foils are playable in modern. So I'm not really sure why people are chasing those when they're about to get fresh foils. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely a knee jerk purchase. And it's probably a one or a two of, um, yeah, and that's what I mean. This is definitely knee-jerk because most people who who want it to play with really competitively won't want the foils. The people who do want the foils will probably want the pack foils, not the commander foils. Uh, so this is definitely just like, oh, look, Kess is in the side. I should go buy the, the old one, which they will probably make money on. I, I'll be honest. 
but I, I do think that that's going to might be and, tough to move them. And this is funny because this is like the flip side of MTG Finance, right? We're out there warning people not to do things, but because they don't pay attention to us because they think we're bad guys, they, that segment of the population misses out on the good advice and runs out and buys the commander foils. Yeah. Uh, and just to delve back real quick on Higure, uh, I don't think that they were necessarily seeding ninjas for modern here. Like it just, we've gotten so few and unless there's going to be a dump of them, um, it doesn't look like they're really anywhere near being positioned, but I will tell you, they are looking a lot better for EDH now, especially that ingenious infiltrator who's like a really innocuous card and is unplayable in modern. But he says, whenever ninja you control deals comet damage, you play a card like that's insane for the ninja decks. Like, um, the was it Tetsuo or whatever the and the other one that's a really good card for that deck and that's the type of thing that someone could see and go wow that actually makes ninjas nuts if I have that in play like I'm already getting all these ninjas to run blocked and I get the they're all Ophidian so something like that you I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a pretty good bump on ninja commanders over the next couple months now of course you're gonna get that for slivers and maybe scarecrows and elves and whatever else like all the tribal commanders are going to get a bump but uh it, it so far it does seem like the ninjas are aimed more edh i'm also very suspicious of a bunch of the inclusion included themes and sub themes in this set i feel like a lot of this stuff is plants for what's coming in the future like yuriko leading into ninjas and modern horizons is not a coincidence uh Ludvisa cold eyes we talked about a while back as possibly being a signal about uh snow themes in this set and maybe we're going to kaldheim or something in the next year this is that's a a viking-esque plane that we could visit um well you know what wizards really unlocked here that i haven't heard discussed much but uh i'm sure someone has said it is that by Finally putting extra cards into modern that skip standard, it allows them to split up all of their themes into two halves where you can go, okay, we are going to print, let's say we're going to do a set that has warriors as a theme. So we're going to do our standard set where warriors is the gimmick, right? That's one of the major themes of the set. But there's two cards that we are too good for standard. So on our modern masters... Or, you know, Modern Horizons, we're going to put those two warrior cards to kind of like, these are the additional warriors that you need to make your deck good in Modern that we couldn't put in Standard. And now, right now, we're getting, oh, these are the additional ninjas or uh, snow cards that are a little too good for Standard that we can't put in there. But when the snow set comes in Standard, you've got those tools available to you in Modern already. So it kind of gives them the, the choice of like taking a mechanic, splitting it in half, putting the normal stuff in Standard and one or two juicy parts in a Horizon set to give a little bit of extra reach for the set, which they've never had the option to do before. So I think that's a cool wrinkle of the format product. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I and there's a reason that the tag for this is MH1, right? Yeah, yeah. People notice that on like the first spoil, right? That I had the one on it. Because clearly there's going to be an MH2. In fact, my question is, how aggressive are they? Like we know they're under significant pressure from Hasbro to just boost revenue, boost revenue, boost revenue, sell us more stuff on a really crazy cycle. Um, we've already got Magic 2020 spoilers in like three, I think third week of June or something, which is like 10 or 14 days after Horizons releases. <laughs> so you're going from like war to in in six weeks later into Horizons and six weeks later into 
uh, Magic 2020. I talked about this with Cliff last week that the the one of the rumors, I don't know if you picked up on in the Discord, is that Magic 2020 is going to be short printed. That it's going to be a relatively short print run because War and Horizons are likely to dominate people's wallets all summer. Um, which means that Mythics, Foils, and relevant cards from that set might be really good pickups uh, at mm. their peak supply like a couple weeks after release because if it's not printed to a very great degree, then, you know, six months out, they might be pretty scarce. Yeah, it almost feels like they're going to be forced have to change their print schedule. Like maybe the, um, you know, the, the Modern Horizon slot moves to like July or something. I don't know. It seems like I feel like there's a pretty good gap between the core set and the fall set. Well, so I think it's the same amount of time, but it just feels like more dead zone. But this product right here in the spring just feels jammed in. And there's so much going on, both in the Magic product release schedule and in people's lives in this time of this year. I don't know. It, it, like jamming all this together, it feels like it's got to be worse for their sales than moving it to somewhere else in the year. But I, I don't know. Well, a couple things. Core to fall set is long, but not yeah. core to commander. Commander uh, decks aren't in the fall anymore. They're in the late summer. So a month after core 2020, you're onto the commander decks. And then a month mm. after, and then six weeks, six weeks after that, you're into the late September reveals for the new fall set. And it's interesting. We haven't heard a thing about that. And the reason for, and that's late, right? Normally we would know at least the name of the set by now. The reason for yeah, that we is- we would also know the fall set name. It's just too overwhelming. Like there's there's too much going on and they're trying to like- slow roll that which makes sense now the other thing i'm hearing is that modern horizons is was essentially sold out for wave one and that wizards rushed an emergency print run a partial one to make sure that uh distribution had enough stuff to stock the vendors um but that beyond that which is basically just going to meet existing demand um it could be two or three months before you see another another wave come off the presses so you know it could be there could really be a spot here midsummer where some of these horizons cards that start showing up in top eights at modern tournaments are in position to take off hard because the supply is mostly dried up and boxes are 240 plus. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be wild. And we say that like it's too fast and it's too much, but maybe it's not. Maybe either all this is doing what Wizards wants it to do, and it's not too fast, but it does feel like it's too fast. Well, and here and here's the 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 methodology behind analyzing that for them. If by add if you add a product in like Horizons, and it damages total sales for War and or Core, the, the products on either side of it, that would have been there anyway, um, and doesn't sell enough itself to make up for more than make up for whatever the reduction is on either side, then you would know you had a problem. But if it either, if those products on either side still do as well as expected and horizons ends up being a bonus on top of that, or they are reduced by some amount smaller than the bonus added from horizons versus previous ancillary sets in a late spring, early summer slot, then they have no reason to pull back the reins. Yeah so yeah what, 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 they sell really it sells really well I, you know you got to wonder if there's not if they're looking at this and going okay it's selling really well and we're happy with it what the alternative alternate universe is where you do move the schedules does it sell even better but we can't really 
Well, I mean, it's already... They have the marketing data for that, right? We it, don't. It's already super interesting that they've essentially, with the Mythic Editions, been selling two products at the same time now on the major releases. So every major set has gotten a Mythic Edition this year, and that's added like 10 to uh, $12 million to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Which they are Wait. sure as heck going to keep doing. Wait, do I have that right? 12,000 units times 250, right? So three, yeah, three, uh, sorry, $3 million to the bottom line. Yeah, it was a huge chunk of change, several million dollars. And, you know, that just got tacked onto what they were already, all of the design and development that went a- along with that set. So that's a really nice bump for them. And I suspect we're going to see more of it if in some kind of morphed form. So kicking through some more of this list, because we're only halfway through. Thopter Foundry foils from Alara Reborn, the other half of the aforementioned combo, going from 8 to 25. Uh, I expect that's going to be pretty sticky. Genesis is being reprinted into Modern out of Judgment. So the foils from Judgment and the Judge foils both popped. The Judgment foils went from 14 to 40. Um, I don't think there is a deck that really wants Genesis. And if they do, they don't want multiple copies. So Yeah, that's a combo card, if anything. So I'd be trying to get out of these as soon as possible if I had some for just, uh, specs. Cold Steel Heart um, out of Commander Anthologies um, from $3 to 10 on Snow uh, themes returning in Modern Horizons. Descendant's Path out of Avacyn Restored foils from $10 to $30 um, on the basis of a whole bunch of tribal decks in Modern Horizons. And notably, the first sliver interacts well with Descendant's Path. It's also got that uh, sweet Therese Nielsen art, even if, uh, as I'm sure Travis would agree, um, the artist in question has some troubling politics. Mm, to say the least. Um, Winter Orb out of Eternal Masters. Non-foils going from 5 to 15. This was Travis's pick two weeks ago. No huge surprise there. Uh, it was already at a tipping point. Um, Urza's Filter out of Invasion uh, from a dollar to $4. Probably uh, related to Morophon the Boundless. Um, as it that helps. is not what I wrote. That is not what I wrote. <laughs> uh, Thran Turbine out of Urza's Saga. is kind of a, fills a similar role in people's minds in Urza. Uh, for EDH, going from a dollar to three dollars, it gives you two colorless mana every turn that you can use for Urza's activation. Um, so it's functionally another very significant mana rock in that deck. Um, people people went reaching when they saw Urza. Yeah. Um, although I can I can see it like the turbine makes sense in in the deck. No, it's not it's not a bad card at all. Uh, I mean it's a, it's sort of like a. The problem is, is it's um, it's during your upkeep, so and it doesn't the mana doesn't carry over. Yeah, so you're gonna you're gonna want to have some other pieces in the deck, like other mana sinks in the deck, so that yeah, you're not it, just relying on having Urza out. Yeah, it's only activation costs essentially. Yeah, of spell of cards, it's weird. Um, Mira Fate out of uh, Magic 2010. The foils going from five to fifteen. This was a BSB pick. It was a BSB pick, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I, I was pretty sure on that. Uh, Auntie's Hovel from Lorwyn foils from 10 to 40 on the back of Black Red Goblins showing up in the set. I am not seeing a super great Black Red Goblins deck for Modern coming out of the set yet. But then again, I'm not brewing with it. So if you feel like you've got a better beat on that, you can figure out whether or not you want to be dumping your hovels. I suspect the answer is yes. The Now, we don't have it on the list this week, but the uh, the Elf one, where we're... Lodge, not Warbird Lodge, but you know what I'm talking about. That one was moving, had some action too on it, right? You're talking about like the Black Green talking one. About that. Yeah, I saw people talking about that. Yeah, I, I mean, we don't have Black Green Elves in this set, so. I swear I saw people talking about that card. Um, Collar of the Claw foils out of Legions 
four or five bucks up to fifteen sixteen. Uh, we finally got our grizzly bear lord. Uh, Sweet it art. is yeah, it's a very cool art. It is of questionable utility, I think, but uh, that is, this, is, this is the first bears card we're talking about today. There's like four cards that jump because of bears, um, but most of them were dirt cheap and are now sold out, which is why the price changes are so high. But collar the claw foils out of legions, moving real hard. Um, Factor Fiction out of Conspiracy foils about six seven dollars to twenty five. Uh, that got reprinted. So old uh, past foil versions of Factor Fiction jumped. Uh, you're gonna have there's a lot of Factor Fictions out there, and we just got another one with uh, obviously the Modern Horizons reprint. So I think you're gonna have probably have a little bit of trouble getting rid of some of these. I expect those to settle real close to what they were before. Selling sell um, to hype on like everything, but oh yeah, even Invasion foils, I guess, because it's not it. It, it was on like. Matt Nass's and, and LSV's top five most un- over overrated cards from Horizons for Modern. Um, and yeah. I suspect that's going to prove true. It's just like the format, a format of instant that gives you, that has that effect is only good, not amazing in Modern at this point. You just can't afford to run many of them. I could see a, a like a Wilderness Reclamation deck uh, fooling around with Factor Fiction for sure. Um, but miles from tier one in the current form uh, of the well- format. What's interesting is that even though that's an overrated card, which I respect, and people love to tell stories about the ridiculous factor fiction piles their opponents gave them, this relegates Gifts Ungiven to strictly combo potential, right? Like, why would if you genuinely just want to draw the real cards and the cards in your graveyard don't really matter, why would you ever pick Gifts over factor fiction? I mean, I'd I don't argue, think it would. I'd happen. argue Gifts was already in that role, but sure, yeah, it's it's. In the same way that this set provides a bunch of counterspell yeah. options that make all of them less likely to be financially relevant, that's that's true of all of the blue. There are, there's such a deep pool of nuanced versions of blue cards in modern now. It's going to be hard for any of them to be four ofs because one of the things yeah. blue like like blue based control decks like to do is have a toolbox of options in their quiver. They they are not the kind of decks that run like straight up fours across the board. Yeah, the counterspell has to be real. The counterspell has to be counterspell for them to just straight play for. Other than that, they're going to play um, one of nine different counterspells, and then that way their opponent's always left guessing, trying to figure out which one they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, Reckless Rage out of Rivals of Vixalon, one of the only standard cards this week, uh, foils um, like two bucks to about eight based on Feather, because it's real good in Feather, and we know she has still been a really popular commander. Um, even despite all this Modern Horizons craziness. Arcane Adaption out of Ixalan. Adaptation. What did I say? Adaption. Gotcha. Arcane Adaption. Discord's going to love that. (laughs) Arcane Adaption. You're adopting Arcane Babies. Uh, Foils out of Ixalan 2 to like 8 because there's this tribal theme all over the place, so it kind of works in any of the tribal decks you're interested in playing, um, whether it's Slivers or... Uh, ninjas or whatever um root sliver oh we missed that one from before but that one popped as well foils out of legions 8 to 32 trash for treasure mirrored in uh trash for treasure both non-foils foils both out of mirrored in and the commander product and it was 2014 um the mirrored in non-foils a dollar and changed to about five bucks this is based on goblin engineer and this looks like it could be a pretty legitimate combo and trash for treasure is one of those cards that i had looked at 
a bunch of times and could never really pull the trigger on. And then they reprinted it in Commander, so I stopped thinking about it because it hadn't gotten there. And then there was this huge new supply. But this might do it. So Trash for Treasure is three mana. It's, uh, let me wait, let me get the exact, it's sacrifice an artifact, put uh, put an artifact from your graveyard into play, right? Uh, wait, come on, load, load, load. Yeah, as an additional cost, sac- three mana is an additional cost, sack an artifact, return an artifact from your graveyard to the battlefield. So if you turn one artifact, anything, Turn to Goblin Engineer, getting a artifact into your graveyard. Turn three Trash for Treasure. Uh, you get that artifact in the play. So is that is that it? Is that the is that the combo? Like is that really good? Because that is a two card combo. But the question is, what are you comboing into? I don't know. Um, but people are interested in that. Then exclude foils out of invasion five to twenty. This is the obviously an invasion foil that's ancient. Uh, this is also based on a reprint, another issue where people are generally only going to want one. So, uh, you know, you probably get like 10 to 12, 13 for these. I don't know if you're getting 20 bucks. Um, brood sliver, 7 to 30, sliver, sliver, slivers. Secluded step, foils out of onslaught. This is another, this is a fascinating one. So this is the white onslaught cycling land, the common, um, 6 to 30, according to our sheet here. So we don't have the onslaught cycling lands confirmed yet. Although I am being told that they're still open on the number crunch. uh, And obviously we're running out of space. So they're getting more and more likely. But this is purely, well, let me rephrase. I was going to say purely speculative. I don't know that. This is probably speculative. It's possible somebody knows and is pulling the trigger on it. And we've all wondered, right, if the cycling lands were going to be in this. Uh, You know, when we talked about way back when we knew Mirage and Horizons was coming, we're like, oh, they're going to print Astral Slide? Oh, that would mean the Onslaught cycling lands are back. That would be interesting. And we talked about, then they they showed the fixed Astral Slide and everyone got really jazzed. But, like, the Onslaught cycling lands would be a big deal. Like, they're a very relevant card for any sort of cycling strategy. Uh, So someone just figured they would you know shoot the moon here and grab these now just in case because having the onslaught foils would be pretty cool so i think that if you had any left if you had any you're probably still fine even if they don't print them you're probably fine because they're the onslaught foils and they'll probably show up eventually and if they do reprint then you're golden yeah i i'm not seeing the pieces for a really crazy cycling deck but that doesn't mean they aren't there there is a bunch of stuff in Amonkhet block and some interesting pieces in this set that could create some kind of cycling monstrosity. A um, bunch of cards just got revealed on Twitter. I, I want to jump in on, so let's plow through the rest yeah, of this. Yeah, I was just looking at those too. <laughs> the uh, Mist Hollow Griffins uh, going from a dollar to five or six dollars. People thinking that maybe they want to pitch it to force negation, which seems like a stretch to me. People thinking that food chain is not uh, locked out of the set yet based on the number crunch. Um, don't love either of those reasons to be buying Mist Hollow Griffin. Uh, Grizzly Fate from Judgment, giving foils moving from two dollars to ten dollars for about four hundred percent gains. Um, on the back of the new Bear Lord, um, Hive Stone is on the back of Slivers, going from uh people thinking they're going to be playing against Slivers, or maybe they want to have a mixed Slivers and other stuff deck, and they're going to search up the Hive Stone. Both I think are a stretch. Foils going from four to twenty eight seems crazy. Sell in. If you can get 18 to $22 on those right now, do that right away. Um, Basking Root Walla Torment Foils going from 3 to 33 um, This is the assumption that Nimble Mongoose is going to be a thing. 
Really don't see it happening. Lonely sandbar out of onslaught foils from 3 to 45. This is assuming that they're coming back. They are not locked out as far as I know. So as you said, they could well uh, make an appearance here. Um, I think that foil commons over 40 are going to be a tough sell. Almost no, <laughs> no matter how you slice it. So sell out on those. And if pilots are willing, take them up on it. Words of Wilding is a bear generator that is going to be essential in what is, I think, still a fairly scant bear deck that people are going to lose interest in pretty quickly. Um, nest- Barely there. Oh, ouch. <laughs> nest of Scarabs out of Amonkhet foils from $1 to $12 um, on the back of Yogmoth being revealed, which we will talk about shortly. And that is uh... our massive list of... That's just cards that went 90%, 95% plus this week that we thought were relevant. <laughs> the real I, list is more like 100 cards long. I think that's the most, right? Like the most we've had in a week. That's I'm the most sure. we've ever allowed on the list, I think. Yeah, yeah, because they're all legitimate. It's like even when we had those reserve list spikes like two or three years ago, it wasn't quite this deep. And some of those were specious to say the least. And this is like, yep, every single one of these cards moved and pretty much every single one of them will sell higher then it started out as and, that, and that's why mtg fast finance is not fast like yeah. <laughs> we set out with the best of intentions but the reality is if you want to provide analysis of everything that's going on the more active the, the marketplace gets the more you have to discuss and sure we could just like post this list somewhere and people could read it you know on mtg stocks or mtg price or wherever else you want to check your prices but you don't get the context and if you want the context of the cards then we got to spend the time on it Uh, All right, so segment two, cards to watch. Dive in on our picks this week. Um, My first one is one I've picked before, and clearly I was early because it hasn't moved much since the first time I picked it, which must have been six or 12 months ago, I want to say, last time it appeared on my list. Um, But things look set up very well for people that waited to pull the trigger on this. Um, Despite there being a relatively large uh, cell wall from Channel Fireball on TCG Player, this is a card I think you definitely want to have some copies uh, of on, say, a 6 to 12 month horizon. Um, I'm talking about Spire of Industry Foils out of Ether Revolt, and the Revolt was printed less than Kaladesh. This has shown up repeatedly as a 4 of in many different artifact-centric decks in Modern. It also shows up in artifact decks in Commander. Um, and with Urza on the horizon for both those formats and the Goblin Engineer and the, the strong prospect that there will be two or three different uh, archetypes uh, revolving around artifact deck, uh, artifact cards that will want this, um, I think this is a strong buy in the $7, $8, $9 range looking for 20 say, 12 months out. I mean, it was definitely solid before. I'm not going to question that, and yeah, yeah, you. Were, I guess you were ahead of the curve, although we didn't really know at the time that that was going to be the case. But it's certainly not worse now between Thopter Sword and Urza. Like both Modern and EDH have renewed interest in artifacts. I mean, you saw Unwinding Clock, so Spire of Industry is just looking better and better, and supply did not get deeper. I mean, I'm already holding probably 15 or 20 of these, but I'm looking at that cell wall from Channel Fireball at 750 by 50, and I'm thinking. I've got a lot going on this week. It's not a top mm-hmm. priority, but I'm not scared of it. That's right. That's a few hundred bucks. And I feel like buy list is going to reward that play. Yeah. I mean, it is hard to like the, it feels like the only way you lose on this is just a reprint. 
but I don't see that coming nope. down the pipeline anytime soon at all. Like, it just especially foils, right? Like, where are they possibly going to put the foil of this? So, buy list backing is currently not super strong. It's only about five bucks. Um, and my interpretation of that is that there are still, you know, a, this is not a tipping point card. So this is not a short term flip. If you're on the like every three months you want to get thirty percent or something plan, this card is probably not the card for you. If you're on the I like to get fifty to seventy five percent once per year. This card is perfect for your strategy. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. This is for the more slightly more conservative investor, or the the people that can't don't have the time to track their specs every week, because there right. those opportunities are stir- certainly fast and furious lately. But you you have to time them correctly, and not everybody can do that. Right. Um. All right. So I said I would talk about this before uh, when we were going through segment one. Um. Another trader. So, or Nether Spirit, sorry. Nether Spirit is, uh, you were right. I don't think Nether Spirit really fits in any of the existing decks because you only get to return it to play if it is the only card in your graveyard, right? Yeah, so Dredge doesn't Despair want that in Modern. Right. If, if it is the only creature card in your graveyard, you may return it to play. Um, so you're absolutely right. Dredge isn't really interested in this, especially because all the Dredgers are, half of them are on creatures anyway, so it's not even like you'd be building some spell-based Dredge card and it's not going to go anywhere. Uh what Nether Spirit would really function well with is a new, is a, a, essentially a new archetype that we haven't really gotten in modern in any meaningful capacity yet, which is Smallpox, which is a card I'm talking about. So Smallpox foils are uh, from Conspiracy uh, primarily at the moment. Um, you can get in around four bucks, but supply is real low. And I, I almost think somebody bought some of these in between the time that I put this on the spreadsheet this morning and now. Because I think there were more of these earlier today, but there are four conspiracy copies, four vendors. Oh no, but there's um thirteen vendors from M12. That's the other one. Uh so a grand total of less than twenty foil smallpoxes um available out there right now. There's also the time spiral printing, but I, there are zero copies of that at the moment. Oh no, sorry, there's one at twenty dollars. So you're getting foils of smallpox around four bucks right now. And that would be people have tried to make smallpox work several times over the years. Um, that's everyone loses a life. Every player loses one life, discards a card, sacks a creature, and then sacks a land. So where this works with another spirit is that can be the card that you discard. Um, that can be the card, the creature that you sacrifice. But then every turn you just get it back. You just get it back for free. Um, you don't have to tap any mana. You don't have to discard a card. You don't have to put a land in the play. You don't have to do anything. Another spirit just comes back. And smallpox games are going to generally going to drag pretty hard. That's kind of the whole point. And that two da- that two chip damage from another spirit every turn uh, will add up. So given that supply is already so low on smallpox, again we're talking like barely twenty foil copies left at about four dollars. And I think some of them are over that anyways. Time spirals are. $20 foils. You're not getting this in Modern Horizons. We got another Spirit, which might enable it some more. And if not, you're still fine. Uh, I think these are probably good up to like, you know, if you get in at four, maybe $10, $12 or so. Um, just another Spirit might make it go a little quicker. It's interesting. I'm not at all convinced that Nether Spirit is the thing that brings us to the forefront, but you can easily convince me that Davriel Rogue Shadow Mage has put uh, uh, eight rack. Uh, back on the on the agenda um because that card does work in that deck uh, adds some redundancy sure. and and forces them to interact with a different kind of permanent 
Um, and we've seen that top aiding uh, as recently as May 17th in a modern online, uh, modern magic online competitive modern league um, where it finished in the top eight. Um, I'm also surprised to see that though this was printed in, as you said, Conspiracy and Magic 2012 and the original printing um, in Time Spiral, none of the the inventory of foils is very deep. So yeah. you have to assume that this has got some casual chops as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smallpox has long been a, a fan favorite of just harassing people. I'm unfamiliar with Smallpox and EDH. Does it see much play there? I don't think so. It's pretty low impact there. I haven't even looked, but I bet it's not very popular. I mean, just each player losing a life is irrelevant. Discarding a card and sacking a creature is not bad. Um, it, it's, yeah. it's the it's the fact that it's symmetrical and happens to you that that makes it a little dubious. Um, it's only reported in 11, 1100 to almost twelve hundred decks on EDH rec. So definitely not something you want to lean on. If, if you really want it, so this is smallpox, but it is an it is the um, successor to Pox. Now, if you want to play this in EDH, you gotta you gotta up your game a little bit and just play Pox. So small Pox is you lose a life, a card, a creature. Pox is you lose one third. You lose one third of your life, discard a third of your hand, sacrifice a third of your creatures, and then sack a third of your lands. Pox is where the the real edgelords go. Yeah, if I you mean, want that's to get real less popular in EDH, but Fair. That's a very specific type of deck that wants to do that. Yeah, so I mean, I don't. Eight rack has never been the kind of deck that draws a lot of attention all at once. It would really need a, a top tier result, I think, to people to get to get more people on it than already fi- consider it beloved. Um, and so I think that, like Spire of Industry, I think both of these cards are like six to twelve month kind of holds, um, given their existing demand profiles. Um, but you know, if you want to play the deck, I don't think these foils are ever going to be any cheaper. And I can see the $10 target being solid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. So I am pretty excited about the next one. We've referenced okay. Goblin Engineer a couple times already. Um, I went in on this for 100 plus copies on MCM the other day. The only Horizons card I've bought uh, anywhere near that extent um, at about 325 US. And I think that's going to be a hell of a bargain. I think Goblin Engineer is going to end up being a $10 card a year out. Goblin Engineer, $10 card a year out. Here, here's, here's my thesis. Goblin Engineer is amazing in Commander. Fits into every red artifact deck. It is strong in Legacy. Not that Legacy matters much anymore. Solid casual card. All sorts of crazy busted weird stuff you can do at the kitchen table. And as we've been discussing, very likely to show up in modern. Ari Lax wrote a big long article about how he thinks it's a mistake in the format on Star City today. Can't really get into the details because that's paywalled content and we uh, always try to protect that for other content producers. But well worth the price of admission over at Star City just to get a good analysis on this card, I think. Um, Because I think people have been sleeping on it. I don't think people realize that this was, you know, Wizard's take on a replacement Stoneforge Mystic. They kind of slid it in there in a different color. And it has some of the abusability comes from its interaction with the graveyard um, that Stoneforge Mystic didn't have. So you basically sack an artifact, search up another artifact, and put it in your graveyard. Okay, now you got an artifact in your graveyard. What are you going to do with it? Well, you're going to try to bring it back and do some nasty stuff with it. Now, the engineer can help you with that, but it can only help you bring it back if it's three casting costs or less. 
So that lets you bring back swords and ensnaring bridge and all sorts of other interesting pieces that you might want to do something with. Um, but you might also just be doing something else. Like once you've got it in the graveyard, you might just be, you know, bringing a platinum Imperion back with refurbish or something. Like who knows? With tra- trash for treasure, which we talked for... about earlier. Yeah, so in I mean, one. I don't know the specific configuration that's going to run engineer. Ari went through a whole bunch of different options. Um, other people will, you know, play with and tune them and try to find, figure out if it's, you know, truly viable in the format. I just see a big, huge flashing neon sign that says open-ended artifact synergy. <laughs> and I think what people are not understanding about rares and mythics in this set is that they are not equivalent to standard rares and mythics, despite the fact that everybody thinks this is like an unlimited print run or whatever. The reality is that it's going to be printed to about 75% of the level of a standard set, probably. And so as is, that means that the rares that the various cards are more rare than their rarity suggests. And it's coming out of a $240 box. So if dealer cost is like 2.2 times standard regular distribution, uh, like wholesale cost, then rares will necessarily that are playable and mythics that are playable are necessarily going to be more expensive than their standard counterparts. That's just inevitable. It's, you know, fundamental economics that if something costs twice as much at its base, you got a, one piece of candy comes out of a $10 box and one piece of candy comes out of a $20 box. You know, one of those pieces of candy is going to be end up being worth more money. So $3 for a card that is going to see play in a whole bunch of formats, like a multi-format potential staple. $10, if that was coming out of a standard set, would be reasonable. Coming out of a, essentially a master set, I... No trouble believing that whether I wait six months, 12 months, or 18 months, I'm going to be happy the day that this ends up $10 plus. Well, I'm not breaking any rules to talk about what was posted on Twitter. And Ari commented on Twitter that he thinks that you sh- you shouldn't think about this. as This isn't meant to replace uh, Goblin Artificer. It is closer to an Entomb, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that you have to approach it differently. And I think he's probably right because the, the reanimate component of this is kneecapped a little bit relative to Artificer, whereas the tutor is is insane. Like, there's no restriction on that. It's any artifact that you can search for. So, like you said, Platinum Imperion. Um, you know, it's funny. I haven't seen anyone talk about this in quite a while, even though it was a common refrain for, for years. Uh, but it's the two-drop cycle. So uh, there's Tarmogoyf in green, Dark Confidant in black, Stoneforge Mystic in white, uh, Snapcaster Mage in blue, and it felt like they tried to give Red their two drop a couple times and never got there. Dire like, Fleet, Daredevil, it, Dreadhorde, Arcanist, and MTG War. Yeah, well, no one talked about those, but prior to that, there were a couple that people thought were supposed to take that mantle, and I think people were like, okay, well, it's Monastery, so Spear, it's just a one drop. Um but this might be that card. This might be complete that like powered two mana cycle because this is obviously a very powerful card. Like you can play this in your combo deck where you're setting up the turn three, uh, you know, trash for treasure or whatever. You can play it in a utility deck where you're doing things like uh, having ensnare bridge, ensnaring bridge in your in play during your opponent's turn. And then sacrificing it in, on your turn to attack. And then if you manage to get a second one out, you can then bring it back. 
So if you have two goblin engineers in play, you can like start cycling a insane bridge and something else so that like you can attack and they can't type of thing. Uh, he, you know, it's going to be good in a toolbox type deck. So there's a lot of utility there, and I agree, it's going to be playable. It's it's at least considerable in Legacy, very much so in Modern. Definitely going to get played in EDH just for the ability to tutor the Entomb effect alone is going to be great. Um, so I I I think the card has definitely got legs. I'm when I look at the price of four twenty five. I my only concern here is you might be able to snag it closer to three, but that relies on you getting lucky. Card. Like you have to hope that nobody figures it out quick enough for the inventory to build up and let prices drop. So now when you're talking about selling at ten to fifteen dollars, does the dollar matter? Not really. Like whether you paid three or four for it, you're probably good to get out at ten. What you selling at twelve? You're you're good no matter what. So I'm just being a miser, trying thinking I can score it for three. But I do agree that this card seems to be one of the legitimately most powerful cards in modern that has been spoiled so far and has a lot of reach um, and will be played as a playset in most places that want it. I, I also think that like eight weeks out from the release of Modern Horizons, Goblin Engineer is going to have a very healthy buy list offer. Like if it's a even if it stays a five dollar card at that point, buy list will be three to three fifty. Yeah, probably like lowest I could see would be two fifty, two seventy five. I just think it's going to be in high enough demand and enough formats that buy lists will be able to be aggressive. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's the rare that I think is was most underpriced. Copies did sell in North America in the three fifty range. I think on Card Kingdom earlier this week, I bought some, and so did other people, and then they moved the price up. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I would be hard solid. pressed to pick a yeah. I'd be hard pressed to pick a rare that I think was better. Yeah. Right now in Modern Horizons. Um. All right. My next card, uh, Frost Marsh. I don't do this too often. Well, actually, I guess I just did it. <laughs> Frost Marsh is an uncommon from Cold Snap. Mm-hmm. Frost Marsh is a snow land that comes in the play tap that taps for blue or black. That's it. Snow land comes in the play tap taps for blue or black. You can get non-foils for a dollar right now. Um, and there are 25 vendors for probably maybe 40 copies, 50 copies tops uh, on TCG Player right now. Um, there's only one foil or else I tell you to go buy that and that's at six bucks. Uh, the reason I like Frostmarsh is because it is a dual snow land and absent a any other dual snow lands. Which it doesn't look like these, we're getting here. Right, the snow super type subtype here is quite relevant, especially because of a little card that got spoiled today. Uh, wait, let me find it. Uh, Dead of Winter. So this is the three mana sorcery. All non-snow creatures get minus X minus X, where X is the number of snow permanents you control. So the uh, impetus on the player with Dead of Winter will be to have as many snow permanents in play as they can when they cast this. So that obviously is snow basics, snow lands. Uh, but if you're trying to, if you're playing modern, you're probably playing more than one color. And if you're playing more than one color, you can only play so many basics, um, especially if you want to cast, you know, your various spells. So there's some work you can do. You can play like that other artifact that got spoiled too, which all the spoilers are in Italian. So I have to look it up. Uh, Arkham's Astrolabe. Oh man, I should have not picked this card. Astrolabe? Astrolabe? Arcanum's Astrolabe? Labe? I don't know. 
but it's a one mana artist, snow artifact. So people are going to be going after something like that too. But the point is you're going to try and put a lot of snow, art- snow permanents into play prior to casting Dead of Winter. And make no mistake about it, Dead of Winter is a legitimately powerful card. Like this is a three mana wrath your opponent's side of the board yours stays alive because you the couple snow creatures you play are or the couple creatures you play will be snow and it costs you no life like uh virtues ruin um and toxic deluge or virtues ruin is to destroy all the white creatures toxic deluge is the one that people like in legacy but that costs you life um so this lets you do a lot of damage without any of that additional expenditure at three mana but it's going to require snow permanence and if you're playing anything other than basics you're going to these uh they have not been reprinted they're only from cold snap They've definitely already been picked by people who would have been building snow-type decks. So there's definitely some sitting out there in the wings because there's never been a huge demand for this card from like legitimate players as opposed to casual players. But the inventory just is not that deep, and anyone who buys it is going to go, I'll pick up a playset. So you will see people buy playsets of these. People aren't going to buy one of them. Um, so I think your jump here is like one to five or six bucks, maybe 10 if you get really lucky because this is a big deal. And this is all predicated on no snow duels showing up, which I don't think we're getting, but just want to point that out. But I do think that, you know, you can buy these real cheap, especially if you can find anyone that's got them in bulk. Uh, you can should be able to sell playsets on TCG Player pretty easily. And even if not, I expect buy list to go well north of a dollar, making this a pretty easy turnaround into a chunk of store credit. I'm not sure I love the tapped snow lands in modern are necessary argument because I'm just, I think the format is just, I think this deck is already a stretch given the pieces we've got. Um, and again, I think it's a setup for getting a bunch of snow somewhere in the near future where the whole thing then coalesces. Like if they give us a full snow set as a follow on to this call time or whatever, then that deck probably becomes more robust and, and your, your arguments um, and then I suspect we get the snow duels, right? So that <laughs> that becomes uh, a big question mark. The other thing is you have the basic searching fetch, which is actually showing up as the number, the top, there's very limited data so far in EDH rec for Modern Horizons, but the top card reported so far is Prismatic Vista, which is the new rare fetch, uh, tap, pay a life, sack, and then search your library for a basic. I think that's actually the color fixer that the snow uh, deck is looking for. Because it can, you can play a bunch of basics plus prismatic vista and just keep pulling up the the basics with your fetch lands, um, depending on uh, where and how you need colored mana. Um, a lot of the snow cards, including the black sweeper you just mentioned, only require one mana, and that mana can be snow, if I'm not mistaken. No, dead of winter is a one black, no. and some of the other stuff is either single white or single black. There's that green uh, blue snake so i mean the whole thing is is pretty specious i think so far but i could still see people making money on this card and the reason for that is that i think casuals will may well explore snow themes uh in their own time and in those decks they could easily decide that they want to buy one dollar versions of this land and this land could end up being two dollar version well don't don't forget that like you're right that there's a, what is it prismatic vista or whatever and there's the normal fetches too so you can always play those to go get different basics but at some point you probably want to land the taps for two mana or two two different colors of mana because you want extra black this turn and extra blue this turn like like you, you can't play all basics and you can't play nothing but fetches and basics if that worked people would probably already do it 
Um, and this, the new prismatic vista might make that plan a little more possible, but I still don't see it really getting there. Um, I honestly, so I, I, I was go, I was in on some of these like six weeks ago, but foils at like two to three dollars. And, mm. and I suspect that those are going to get there just be on like, you can have a much smaller demand profile and get out clean, but we don't have a reprint of any of these. So your argument for Frostmarch actually applies to most of the other ones as well. Um, in the cycle yeah i i picked frost march because i'm like well what is are you most likely to pair with dead of winter probably blue black right like that's the reason i would go with that one and i think that's the reason that you play the snow if you're gonna play a tap snow land that is the card you do it for yeah i again somebody's got to show me a, a viable snow list and then we can have the conversation again sure we'll see i could be wrong i, I mean I, I you know if no one wants to play dead of winter and it's not good enough then frost marsh is probably is not going to move much but it's just at a dollar it's just like yeah what are the odds that the buy list is going to be less than a dollar three months from now you know well i mean what but, okay what if something like dead of winter is just played in like mono black devotion and you're playing nothing but swamp snow swamps yeah i mean that's possible too but that, that's kind of what makes this good is that you don't have to play it in the mono. Like you, the only gimmick is that you need snow permanence, I guess, as opposed to other types of gimmicks where like Mutilate requires Swamp specifically, which is a different type of hoop to jump through. So it allows you to play multiple colors. I don't know. I Could be. Could be. All right. So my final pick of the week is Russian Boxes of Modern Horizons. Um, foreign product is much harder to come by these days as people have recently learned with japanese war of the spark being scarce despite wizards planning on distributing it at a higher level than usual for standard sets um they still underestimated the global demand for the anime planeswalkers and uh you know a month after release uh they're they are still hard to come by japanese boxes are still going for about 200 bucks on ebay um i have helped move well over 45 boxes of Japanese war um, without issue. Every single time I've posted it to social media, people have elected to do like Twitch streams of box openings or have just bought cases flat out and had them shipped over to them from Japan. Um, I've sold hundreds or thousands of dollars, I guess probably single digit thousands now of alternate art planeswalker foil promos, non foils. Um, There's so many good planeswalkers in this set and the anime planeswalkers are in especially high demand. So we've seen that in the face of high demand uh, for a good set, the foreign product is still going to fall short, even when Wizard plans around it. And I think with Modern Horizons, you're going to find that they did not plan around it, because generally speaking, they seem to want to keep foreign product located in the market to which it is intended, probably to keep um, local play zones friendly and tournaments friendly to new players um, and to avoid having foreign cards show up on camera too often. So Modern Horizons Russian boxes on Facebook groups and stuff are going and on eBay are going for about like anywhere from 285 to 320, um, which seems like a reasonable price to pay for the Russian premium. Um, And if you can find boxes, you know, in the 250, 260, 270, 280 range, I think those are snap buys. One of the reasons is um, not just the usual foil Russian premium, but the fact that this is the first time ever that Snow Basics have been printed as foil because Cold Snap did not have Russian cards and neither did Ice Age. So the foil Russian Modern Horizons full art Snow Basics are going to be one of a kind. And if a snow deck like the one you're proposing coalesces at some point, 
then I suspect the it'll be similar to the foil Russian Battle for Zendikar uh, full arts, and they will go anywhere from twenty to forty dollars would be my guess, which basically lops a piece off the price of the box. You're about good to get like one foil basic per box, uh, and they'll be full art because they all are. So that means that if you're getting a two hundred eighty-five dollar box, you're really paying two forty, which is close to MSRP for an English box. I suspect English boxes are going to get into that range anyway. And my argument is that if you want a Modern Horizons box to crack and play with your friends, probably stick to English. If you want a box to try to flip uh, to collectors um, on, say, a six to twelve month horizon, and possibly be able to get get out like a week or two after you take control of it, um, <clears throat> I think you could do a lot worse than a Russian box of Modern Horizons. Well, that doesn't seem like uh, a terrible idea for anyone who has the reach to get there. I know I just looked on eBay and there's a couple available at like 320, uh, but there was like three boxes, well, three vendors um, with the $40 shipping. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if you can get them for 280, that seems like you're going to be real hard pressed to not find a buyer, you know, almost immediately at a higher price than you paid. And again, well, a couple months and these things are going to be appreciating really, really well. Um, especially because, in the, you know, the longer you go out, the better it looks because the whole thing is in, is in Russian. Um, and maybe they, you know, maybe they have a, an aggressive timetable for reprinting what they expect to be the meaningful modern relevant cards. But that doesn't mean that you're going to get them in foils. So we could possibly see Modern Horizons 1 reprint in the Commander product this year, right? But that doesn't mean it's going to cover the foils, which keeps the box prices a little more tantalizing. So well, you know, if you can get in at 280 or less, I think it's it's pretty hard to miss. And it really depends how good the spec is depends on how you are likely to handle it once it's in hand. If you're the kind of person that's going to buy it and crack it and then try to flip the singles, you're going to find that all but the very best of the singles out of your box are going to be hard to move. That's just generally true of foreign product. So if you get a foil hori- Russian Horizon land, you probably paid for your box. Um, that plus a few other key staples in Russian. Um, but if you miss on that lottery, t- you know, spin of the lottery wheel, then you could get end up holding a subpar box that didn't make you any money and just gets absorbed into your own collection. So if you want them for yourself, that's one thing. But I think sealed is going to be the ticket here because they are much more of a collector's item when they are a maybe on getting an amazing card at foil Russian than they are once you know exactly what's in them. Um, and, that, yeah, and, ga- and that's typically the case. G- gamers tend to be degenerate gamblers. Uh, we have a lot of evidence for that. There's a reason that the big magic event every year is held in Vegas. Um, and those sealed boxes are very tantalizing. And I agree that if you were planning on buying a Horizons box for yourself to shore up your personal modern collection then you would be hard doing going the Russian route was good because you can sell your one or two lottery tickets if you get them or your, your, your money cards and then still keep all the Russian stuff in your own collection that you plan on playing with. Uh, but I also agree that I would not chase trying to sell Russian singles unless you have a robust network for those because they are probably some of the hardest singles to sell. Um, but otherwise, keep your stuff sealed, uh, and you'll still do just fine. I mean, the hardest things to sell are things like Italian, Portuguese, Spanish, etc. But I mean, Ru- Russian I, well, <laughs> is actually the easiest of the foreign languages to sell outside of Japanese. Japanese is the easiest because if you're selling into Japan, where there's a very strong, uh, you know, LGS market, then you're selling in people's native tongue, and it's all good. 
Um, uh, you you don't I, typically even... get a chance to sell Russian cards to Russians, <laughs> which is the difference between Russian and Japanese. Um, I, I'm not even counting like Italian and Portuguese because people don't buy them. Sure. Like, like it's not something that you buy. I should say Russian cards are one of the toughest things to buy and sell that you would buy with the intention of reselling it. Sure. So um, there's a couple other things to keep in mind. One is that part of this depends on how much this actually plays out six or 12 months out as Commander Masters, as everybody's calling Modern Horizons, as opposed to it, a bunch of these cards becoming important in Modern. I feel very confident that the Horizon lands are excellent pickups in Russian, especially in foil. Um, I think that there are five or ten cards on my radar that are very likely to become modern staples in the set, things like Goblin Engineer and Urza, um, that will be uh, worth a lot of money, foil uh, and Russian, and even in non-foil Russian, will command a a small premium, um, especially if you have a full playset. But if it ends up being mostly a commander product, then a lot of commander groups don't like to have foreign cards on the table and your market narrows significantly, which is yet another reason to keep the box sealed. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that you are probably, what, wherever you're getting sourcing your Russian boxes, you're probably not getting the buy box promo. So you do have to factor in that you're probably not getting a Flusterstorm um, because those are, <laughs> mostly what I've seen is that the Russian LGSs steal those from their players and sell them online. So they're very unlikely to sell them to you with your box um, because that's supposed to be a local program. And if they don't run the local program, they're not likely to extend it to a online program. Um, So there's all of that. There's also uh, a a tidbit of information that's specific to the pro traders, which is that we have arranged an extremely attractive group buy at an obscenely low cost for a over 20,000 worth of Russian boxes. And, you know, if you're we're recording this on Wednesday, this might still be going on by the weekend. If you hear this and you've been on the fence about becoming a pro trader, maybe this is the thing that pushes you over the edge because we have access to very good pricing on both English, German, um, French, and Russian product. I don't know why you'd want French, but the other three are, are at least interesting. Um, and the discount that you're getting would easily pay for a year of pro trader. So, um, Maybe another reason to come check out our pretty fantastic Discord that is firing on all cylinders. Yeah, well, so there you go. Russian Russian Modern Horizons box. I'm not disagreeing. 280 sounds solid. I think probably not terribly accessible for everyone listening, but uh, certainly worth considering if you have the option available to you. Just beware the, the outs. So we can move on to segment three, our metagame we can review. Pretty quickly look over SCG Open out of Louisville, which was the modern tournament this weekend with about 700 players. Um, It's interesting because I think a couple weeks ago we would have assumed that these modern results were kind of irrelevant because Modern Horizons was going to shake up the format so much. But now that we've seen what's in this set, it looks like we don't have a lot of super obvious role players that are going to slot into existing archetypes, nor do we have super well-developed kind of like archetypes in uh, a box that are just being handed to us to upset the apple cart of the format. Instead, what we have is a bunch of high-complexity, um, super nuanced cards that are going to potentially form uh, or contribute to new archetypes, but... If I had to guess what modern is going to look like three, six months out, I would say it's going to look pretty similar to what it does today with maybe one or two interesting new decks punctuating top eights here and there. 
Yeah, you're definitely so they have certainly not given us a set that is robust in very obvious modern staples that are just immediately going to, you know, warp the face of the format. I remember I had talked about how I expected there to be a at least one or two more meaningful graveyard and artifact hate cards to sort of smooth out some of the combo stuff and it doesn't look like we've really gotten too much of that. There was like the oof who is like a, a was a stone of silence on a stick, but I don't even know how much something like that matters. It in any case, they have done a good job of keeping this set much less shallow than it could have been in terms of its impact on modern. So uh, on the outset, we're definitely going to get some exciting looking cards. Um, let me phrase that. On the outset, we are definitely not going to have major changes uh, in the way that we might have before. We are, I expect the changes to build over the month, over the months after release, which isn't too far from what I would have expected anyways, right? It's not like I thought this was going to come out on the 30th and, you know, June 30th. I don't know if that's a day. I'm just picking a date. So have this come out on June 30th and on July 1st, suddenly have all new decks. It was going to take time to find this, but it looks like it's going to even take even longer than we expected. So it might even be the start of next year before we really start to see how, how Modern Horizons has has gotten its claws into the set. And part of how that develops will depend on whether my theory about a lot of the cards in the set and themes in the set being plants for the forthcoming standard sets plays out to be true. If I'm wrong, it takes even longer. If I'm right, then, you know, we might get these abrupt chunks of new, uh, you know, a new deck with each set kind of like appearing, manifesting in the format because so many new cards, you know, if we get a snow set in the fall, we're going to get a ton of snow cards. And if we get all those snow cards, then maybe suddenly we do have a snow deck in modern. But if we don't get more snow cards within the year, then I I have, I again, I'm pretty dubious that there even is a snow deck. So... Take a look here quickly at what top eight did. Not a lot of surprises. We had Dredge in first. Is it Phoenix in second? Dredge again in third. Um, Valakut in fourth was probably the most notable, um, you know, less common deck. Amulet Titan uh, in fifth. And then Humans in sixth and seventh running pretty standard uh, versions of the deck. Blue-White Control uh, in eighth. Uh, probably the most interesting thing there is the mix of Planeswalkers. Two Teferi Time Raveler, two Teferi Hero of Dominaria, no Jace the Mind Sculptor, and three Narset Parter of Veils. That's odd. Can we talk for a second about how I was just uh, putting my cost stickers on my 140 copies of Narset that I bought at 70 cents? Seems nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you went from thirty cent, seventy cents to three dollars, something like that. Isn't that, isn't that exactly what we look at on the spreadsheet and go, oh, this is crap. Nobody actually makes money from this, and then pass it over. Yeah, I mean, you get to sell these as a playset, which is a huge. No, no, difference. no, 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 no. None of those are going to be sold as a playset. I'm going to sell them to a buy list. Oh. It's one of the most popular planeswalkers of all time. <laughs> so the the buy list on this is already at like a dollar ninety five or something on Narset. I don't. Still, I'm surprised that this card is as popular as it is, but that's fine. Tur- turns out that people like to draw to. lots of extra cards, and Narset says no. Yeah, none for you. I it's pr- it's probably one of the I I not having played it with it myself. It's probably one of those things where it doesn't read all that well, and then you play a game and realize just how many extra cards you tend to draw over the course of the game, and you're like, oh, if I turn all of these off, that actually gets really annoying. 
it's like when you realized when uh, Notion Thief was spoiled and people realized how that interacted with Jason, you're like, wow, this is way more brutal than I even realized it was on first glance. So it's probably that type of deal. So, I mean, I, I misspoke. Narset of uh, Parter Avails, Card Kingdom, Bylas is only $1.30. Still a strong out if I want it. But I think the play is to wait. Um, the Japanese alt art Narsets, which are in theory uncommons, but not really, uh, are buy listing at 18 and I've been selling them briskly at 24 apiece. What, one of the one of the reasons that Japanese war boxes um, are pretty tough to go wrong with is if you crack one and pull an alt art Narset, you get a good chunk of your box covered. And that's true of several of the other planeswalkers, including Teferi and Karn. Karn pushing 40 already in alt art version. Teferi is like 30. Um, and I think Narset, like we're in peak supply for war right now. I think Narset three to six months out, like say in the fall season, Narset's buy list could be pushing $3 easily. Yeah, it could be. I mean, a seven, so like a six to seven dollar on common down the road. It, yeah, it happens. It happens. It, may, it, it seems like that could be tough this year, but next year possibly. I, I'm not. It's a multi-format stable. I am not in any rush at all to th- throw it into a buy list until the number is nice and juicy. Yeah, and I mean, if there's one thing that I can say, it is that as fast as I expect everything to move, it, every all the prices seem to be moving faster than that. Yep. Like I have a rough time frame in my head, just an intuition whenever we talk about card prices and like how long that will be. And just it's been getting beat over and over and over. So if Narset yeah. gets up to $4 and then I out somewhere in the six to $700 range and my in was a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So if, yeah. if I can do that Doesn't within a year, bad. I'm willing to be patient and wait. Cause I don't see there's nothing. Narset isn't like some specific meta call. It's just a really strong three casting cost planeswalker. So there's no reason for me to believe that it's going to be in less demand six to 12 months from now and greater supply. Right. The only place you really get hammered there, given already how popular we've seen it, the only place you get hammers is if uh, the format changes enough so that it's not relevant with Modern Horizons, but I I don't see that happening. Punishing card draw just seems like it's going to be good for a long time. Yeah, it's so odd. Um, the instant reanimator deck, by the way, playing generator servant. I remember when this got spoiled in um, what is that? Fifteen? Oh God, I am old. Uh, the two mana creature that you sack for two mana, and then if you spend that mana on a creature, it has haste. So uh, this is showing up in the Ilharg decks, yep. where you generator servant your Ilharg in the play, who then has haste, who attacks and puts your Emrakul in the play, and that that's a that's fun. Yeah, we talked that's about that fun. with Cliff last week. That's uh, a pretty nifty little piece of tech that forces them to interact with a creature early on. Oh well, well, pardon me. Let's try to. Oh, they just reprinted it in UMA. Damn, you can't chase the foils on that. <laughs> All right. So, oh, by the by, by the way, by the way, just I for, we got to talk about something else, and I forgot to mention this. My super secret third pick for the week is probably Scalding Tarn. You can buy these at like ninety bucks right now, and the number of copies at ninety is looks like it might be like fifteen or twenty, and we got like no reprints coming on this, right? Like this has got to be a hundred twenty dollar card, hundred thirty dollar card before the end of summer, right? The only caveat I have on that, and and it's in the same boat as things like. Cavern of Souls. A lot of pressure on Cavern of Souls coming out of Modern Horizons. It's a full-on tribal set. Pretty much any deck that comes out of that is going to want Cavern. There's already a bunch of decks that want Cavern. Humans always wants Cavern. Cavern just got reprinted last year, so it's probably safe this year. Same kind of thing. The problem, though, is I'm 
I have a vague recollection of hearing a rumor that there might be something like modern event decks. I mean, mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. talked about before. And I don't have any strong intel on that other than like a random mention from somebody at some point that something like that was possible. But it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Wizards tried to tried to sell players directly modern. Tried to sell modern decks to players directly. It it <laughs> would make them a lot of money. It, it essentially inserts them into the singles market. And yeah. they if they get to basically print a deck at a cost of $6 and sell it for $3.99 or $2.99, they're going to do that. That's that's Mythic Edition level money. Yeah, and so the way I think that would play out would be similar to the ones we've seen for Standard, where they don't give you the full deck. They're not going to give you all of Visit Phoenix. They're going to give you some key pieces and like one Scalding Turn. And then it's up to you to yeah. build out the rest of it. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen, but I, you know, and this, I'm just saying, I'm looking at this, I'm going, you know, if, if we don't see them show up within several months, that price is going to keep climbing because we're looking at this modern event and a bunch of it is, is it Phoenix? Uh, I don't see why, like right now we're looking at Modern Horizons, like nothing here is going to kick, is it Phoenix out of the format? Nope. Um, well, and Storm is so, still semi-viable and there are, there are other, yeah. other decks that need Scalding Turn. The, and there's a bunch of people on Twitter complaining that these are too expensive already. So there's clearly a lot of people looking at them and thinking about them and wanting to buy them. The thing that um, the other thing is, if the if the product I just uh, suggested might exist doesn't, then we could get another premium product in the fall. Yeah, you know they could do yeah. they can and they can sh- switch up how they do mythic editions. They don't necessarily need to be masterpieces. They could be a pile of sexy modern staples, non foil yeah. full I mean, art, non foil full art stuff or something. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways I they mean, could go with this, but they they are motivated to get that stuff back into the market in a timely manner. So they probably will because the the. The back burner for modern land sets that are in need is starting to get pretty deep. Now, the one thing that I will say is the Horizon lands are going to take up a lot, are, are going to be found in, I think, 50 to 60% of modern decks within three months and are going to alleviate some of that pressure. Well, except you're not cutting fetches for no, those. You, well, no, you're not. But you, it's more like you make do without them. Yeah, the yeah. I guess I guess I misspoke. You're right. There, if you're not cutting the fetches, then it doesn't alleviate the pressure. Um, it, I, it's I, more you, that you have to buy, spend some more money on some other lands. Actually, I, I I guess if you have somebody who like finds himself with a, playing a lot of Horizon straps or whatever and picks up for um is it horizon lands but doesn't have the scalding tarns be like well do i need to spend five hundred dollars on a place out of tarns like i have the four horizon lands they're holding me over like you know kind of make deal with what i have yeah that was kind of what i was going for i'm not sure to what extent that actually plays out like that versus people just opting out of decks like i I can't remember at lgs like modern night running into very many suboptimal decks as opposed to just bad decks like i've seen people bring bad decks to the table i haven't seen a lot of trying to play is it phoenix but not having the full pieces (laughs) you you see it every round james (laughs) yeah 
It's you. It's you. <laughs> no, I mean, I have. All, I mean, right. I have all the pieces. I can play whatever I want. The I know, but that doesn't mean you're playing good decks. I, I don't play good decks, so that's not a, not an issue <laughs> that, either. That was a joke. That was a joke. You played bad decks. Um. All right. So let's move on. Segment four. Uh, our topic of the week: latest Modern Horizon spoilers. So let's. I guess we can work backwards real quick. Some of these were spoiled while we were recording. Uh, the most curious one here, I think, is uh, Hogak. Hogak. A risen necropolis, necropolis. Uh, he's a seven mana eight eight <laughs> trample. So seven mana eight eight trample. You cannot spend mana to cast him. So there's a little puzzle for you. Uh, he can be cast from your graveyard, which is a cool effect. And he's got both convoke and delve. So basically, you got to get this guy into your graveyard. Um, Although you well, you can cast him from your hand, I guess. Hand hand or graveyard. You then have to delve a couple cards and convoke a couple creatures and you get an eight eight trample. And he doesn't come in the play tapped or anything. Uh this is a really interesting card, and it seems like he will slot into I would have to imagine some builds a dredge because like like as a one or two of, because it will be really easy to just hit him while you're dredging and then convoke seven card or dredge seven cards out of your graveyard that are irrelevant. And slam an eight eight trample on into the b- battlefield, which is like a type of kind of a slightly different type of attacker than a lot of what Dredge tends to use, which is going to make things a little more challenging for your opponent at times. I don't know the deck um, well enough to know if this is like a one or a two of in modern Dredge, or it's just a bunch of nonsense. the The thing is that it's in the at the end of the day when you run through all the hoops, you have an eight eight trampler. So, does your deck want an eight eight trampler on the table, and how easily can you play the alternate mana cost? To me, this this card seems more cute than excellent, and I suspect that's how it's going to go. Well, let's just remember that Gurmog Angler is very regularly a one mana five five, and that is very popular. This is one last you yeah one mana five five yeah that that's basically how you almost always play that card. So you only have to have one extra card to delve to play this, and you go from a five five to an eight eight trample. No two extra, and you can do it from your graveyard. Oh yeah, one extra card. This is seven, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, but what I'm saying is you I get you only have to delve one extra card. So so possible. I mean, where we've seen angler isn't anything to do with dredge. We've seen it in death shadow builds. So yes, yeah. is death shadow. Sometimes you're thinking like in death shadow, maybe they want it. Maybe, and I don't think you can play a whole playset because you have to you have to delve the seven cards to play it. And like Grimag Anglers get cast for cast for one mana all the time, but they also get cast for two and three as well. Um, so you're, I mean, try if you try to cast this guy three times over a game and you don't convoke it, that's twenty one cards you have to delve. That's a hunk of cards. But one or two isn't too hard. And if you've got other creatures in your deck, that does make it easier too. And being able to cast from the graveyard is pretty sick. So I don't think that this actually. Like, I don't think this card's going to suddenly be worth eight bucks or anything, but I do think that he's a fascinating card that might give some tools to some decks that didn't already have them. Yeah, I, I think that's the right analysis. Um, we also got Vesper Lark spoiled, which is a take on uh, Revelark, which used to bring, uh, has in many a cube draft, uh, done some serious work and brought creatures back from the graveyard. This is two and a white for a 2-1 flyer. When Vesper Lark leaves the battlefield, return target creature card with power one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, and you can evoke it for one and a white. Evoke, allowing you to basically cast it for less as a spell and have it die immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't think this matters to anyone but EDH players. And as an uncommon, and only getting one power creatures, like this just seems... 
Hold. It's it's a cool concept, but I don't think it really matters all that Hold much. Hold on though. What is Death Shadow's power while it's in the graveyard? Yeah, okay. So you're playing this to return Death Shadows? Maybe. I mean, am I even I mean, I, am I even right? I don't even know the answer to my own question. Is is Death Uh, well, no, Death Shadow's power is a 13. Oh, so that doesn't work. <laughs> no. Yeah. I could I for some reason I was picturing minus x minus x well in its power and toughness box, but clearly that's ridiculous. Um yeah, so I don't know what you want to bring back with this thing. Like Soul Sisters maybe wants it. Uh, yeah, I mean it would still get the martyr back. I'd have to go back and look at the deck. It this I mean, Rebel Arc was always only good in EDH anyways, mostly. Like that's where it was a it was a cube in EDH is what people played Rebel Arc in. This is a weaker version of it. It's a cute version, don't get me wrong, people will still play it. But you'd be surprised at how quick like if you, if I were to pull out my Brago deck, which obviously loves, which Revel Arc is great in, uh, I bet you that there are way, way fewer creatures at power one that I want to return than there are two. Sure. It is interesting, though, that it comes right to the battlefield. That, do, that, uh, does, that does open up some potential. Isn't that what Revel Arc does? Sure. But, I mean, Revel Arc is just not, is, is costed out of modern on its general high cast and cost, both to be cast and and uh handled via the alternate cost this being evoke one one white lets you get to get down to business quickly if you've got something sexy you want to be doing yeah i mean i don't disagree with that but like now you you have to have gotten a creature with one power into your graveyard and now you get to pay two mana to put it in the play for free what one power creature is out there that costs a lot of mana that and this is the this is worth going through the effort to put that in the play and it's got one power. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you, but I'm curious. <laughs> the um, yeah, I mean, it might be out there, but so Land of War Tribe was uh, Dana's uh, reveal. Uh, turns out it was not a returning elf staple from days of yore. It was a brand new elf, triple green for a three three, and you can tap it for three green. So on turn three, this could get you Karn. Is that mm-hmm. good enough, given that it can be targeted by all of Path, Bolt, and Fatal Push? Right, every removal. Probably not. I don't see this being too relevant. The, way, the only place this would really matter is in some one of those elves builds that untaps your creatures, because now this guy taps for three mana instead of one. But it doesn't even feel like that's the goal, because those decks are hamstrung on like the more mechanic effects, like the untapping type of thing, not the amount of mana they generate, because we have Heritage Druid. So I don't think this is relevant to anyone other than kitchen table players it reminds me of elvis elvish aberration there's been other talk of maybe we're returning to theros at some point in the next couple of years which could mean devotion decks again this is a pretty nice card in green devotion i mean green devotion's not yeah. really a deck in modern per se other than on you know streamer funzy times but this does a lot of work with like nykthos shrine to nyx well, that's a really good point, and I love me some Nykthos, and I played Mono Green, Genesis Wave, Devotion, and Modern more than most other players did. Because this, this uh, equals six And that mana. is legitimate in that deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and it was, you, you, there were not very many good three drops in that deck. You were playing, you were playing uh, Cold Eye Selkie, the three mana two two that drew you a card. Sure. Um, so this tapping for a bunch of mana, like, which your deck is already going to be mana hungry. Um, this kind of does that without Nykthos, uh, and can kind of get you over the hump on those smaller Genesis waves, but also is just nuts with Nykthos, like basically makes Nykthos relevant instantly on its own. Uh, it's pretty legitimate. So I could see if it feels like if it's going to be useful in modern anywhere, it's there. How about Pashalik Mons? 
It's only a 2-2 goblin for two and a red. Referencing Mon's goblin raiders from way back at the start of Magic. Legendary yeah, creature, by the way, Gro- I, goblin warrior. I was say, on that note, that I, like, I love the flavor. I do like the flavor text on Land of War Y tribe, which is uh, Land of War remembers the Ice Age, the Phyrexian invasion, and the Rift era. That goes all the way back. That is like, oh yeah, because Land of War Elves was in all those sets. That's cool. That's cool. And then we get the then we get the Mons. So this is like, yeah, remember Mons Goblin Raiders? That card from Alpha. Well, here he is. Here's Mons. So whenever Mons uh, or another Goblin you control dies, uh, he deals one damage to any target. And for three and a red, you can sack a Goblin and make two Goblins. Definitely fits into any of those kind of red tokeny strategies in the age, especially if you're Goblin focused. I'm curious whether, you know, sacking a goblin that deals damage when it dies, that doubles up via mons, is even remotely interesting. I, I, I'm I not seeing the goblin deck manifest for modern yet out of the pieces we've gotten, but I may not be doing the math correctly. Oh, oh, hold on a second. The thing with goblins is you're always comparing it to your best possible draws and burn. Yeah, I feel like in order for goblins to have space in modern, it's got to have it, – it doesn't feel like it's going to be as aggressive as, like, merfolk. Um, so it needs to play – or slivers, which is generally, I think, uh, generally going to be just a very aggressive tribe and less, like, cute mechanical, which is, like, what I would say humans is. Goblins feels like it has to exist somewhere in the more, like, does more interesting things for slightly more modern realm. Maybe some explosive attacks occasionally. And, and Mons fits that that space right like you he kind of comes down and he's suddenly putting pressure on your opponent because if you've been pressuring their life total now removing their creatures is dealing damage to you and he can just start blowing them up uh so he's triggering a damage and putting two more guys in the battlefield who are gonna who are also viable to die so he's got some some utility there my concern is there's just not enough relevant rules text on goblins to interrupt everyone else at the moment so you look at that oof, oof earlier that was spoiled, the two mana, Stony Silence. Like, Goblins has none of that, right? They don't have any of those effects. They just have cute ways to deal more damage. So it just seems like there's some cool cards in here, and in an alternate universe of modern, Goblins is a real deck, but they just lack the tools to be meaningful in the modern metagame now. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody, Somebody's going to run a stream shortly with a black-red goblin deck. or and I could see Jim Davis trying to make goblins a thing. He's done that a couple times before, and we'll see what he comes up with and take another look at it. Um, but I'm not rushing out to grab any more goblin staples. I did on the premise that this would be a tribal set back in March. I think I picked up some foil goblin pile drivers, like maybe 12, uh, under mm-hmm. 5 bucks, because that just seemed like even if goblins don't get there now... Someday they probably will. Like eventually, they're just going to give them the wrong piece that just makes them yeah. too tasty. What this really needs is, um, uh, what you call it? Like, uh, what is it? Catapult, common catapult, where you sack them, sack creatures to do one damage, because that would make him. That card would already be good, and then you put him in the play, and suddenly it's a shock every time you sack a creature, which is nuts. And so, which you know, that would be. That would be a lot, but then it's just a redundant piece. I don't know. Nifty, but whatever. On Thin Ice, uh, the the Chain of the Rocks that targets snow permanents. You, you need a snow permanent, ra- snow land rather than a plains or a, a mountain. P- uh, probably better in the deck that wants On Thin Ice, but then Chain of the Rocks because 
it feels like it's a little easier to, to play that card if you're in the snow deck, but like I don't think in any meaningful volume here. Yeah, again, somebody's got to show me the the a full snow list that wants to wants this and doesn't just want path. Um, right is the is the real issue, um, or or uh, doesn't uh, or doesn't just want lightning bolt or doesn't just want um, fatal push. I mean, when you're competing right. against the twelve three of the best removal spells of all time, it's going to be kind of tough. Um, and we haven't seen Chain to the Rocks do anything. I tried to put together a Jeskai control deck at one point that used Chain to the Rocks and just didn't... I always ended up cutting it because you're running four path and four bolt to start with and then you just don't end up with the slots. Yeah. Um, all right, so Unearth was one of your foil picks a while back and here we have it introduced back into Modern. And the thing that I think is interesting about this card is its comparison to Claim to Fame, which was out of the Amonkhet block. Um, that was a sorcery for one black... Uh, split card return target creature with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield Unearth, of course is three or less so really broadens what you could be bringing back to abuse for instance claim to fame can't bring back uh fulminator mage but unearth can um unearth obviously also features cycling so you can get rid of it if you don't have a target for it and i'm also curious as to whether having claim to fame and unearth together in some kind of like grixis snapcaster shell is worth considering well, I have to give credit to the pro trader who brought this up, and I'm sorry I don't remember your name, and I can't dig through the log to find it, but you know who you are, uh, and thank you for pointing this out. But the particularly relevant text on this card relative to the other one, where it's two mana or less, is the cycling, because it the first unearth doesn't matter if you haven't found the creature you want to unearth yet, um, or should I say the first claim the fame doesn't matter, it's just a dead card, but the first unearth helps you find it, because it goes sure. looking for it. And especially in the, which is like huge, right? Because if you have this in your, if you drew two unearths and no, no, uh, whatchamacallit, death shadow, you cycle this to go look for the first death shadow and then you get to use your second unearth to claim the fames as a mulligan. At the, and at the same time, it's even better in the death shadow deck because when you cycle it, you're paying two, but you're putting the card in your graveyard and now your Gurmag Angler has one more piece of fodder. So he, you know, it's, so you kind of get that mana back on your Gurmag Anglers or, a little down or, the road. Or your so yeah right like whatever whichever so like it, it's cycling two but it's probably more like one and a half or one and a quarter which is you know if you're ever cycling for less than two mana that's pretty pretty powerful so i don't know if it's gonna be good enough and i don't think this is like really energizes any sort of financial play but i do think that the card probably can show up as a two of in a couple places throws of chaos as an uncommon doesn't really ring my bell but i must might have been more interested if it was rare or mythic just it just feels like the kind of super weird card that will be ignored and then will end up in a top eight at some point maybe way down the road this is three and a red for a sorcery and it, all it says is cascade retrace no other relevant <laughs> text that is a very cool card and this this card more more than anything else in the set makes me really wish they would go back to the 10th edition uh corset 10th edition gimmick where foil cards don't have reminder text because this text box is full of reminder text it would look so much better without it to just say cascade retrace um it is a really cool effect and it is fun that you can just keep discarding cards and cascading it for mana. Uh, I don't think it's going to matter for the most part. It It is interesting that it allows you, I guess, to, uh, to like play a combo deck where you want to cascade, but like 
not until it matters i don't know it's weird well, it's like I don't, it's, it seems it's a deck, hard to make it work in theory you're play, to really fully abuse it you have to play a deck where you're going to hit what you want to hit every time and that means that the stuff that you don't want to hit has to not be relevant right so it has to be everything but your lands has to cost uh four or more and only the stuff that you think is hyper relevant ha- has to be cascadable because that's kind of the nature of cascade that you want to either be in a blood braid elf type situation where everything you could hit would be a value engine you know blood braid into ancestral vision or blood braid into lightning bolt or blood braid into dark confidant or whatever you know classic lines um and throws of chaos doesn't have any obvious advantages here other than the retrace so who knows what some mad genius will do with this? Like, I'm, I'm no Sam Black. I'm not going to spend the time to try to <laughs> pull the shell together. Yeah, playing this deck as the you don't have anything that costs less than four except for the one card you want to cascade into. I mean, that's already living in and that deck exists, right? Like, we, we've already played that deck where you can't have anything that costs less than three. They, I guess where you would play it is if you figure out a way to recur a card to the top of your library every turn that you can cascade into for some reason and then like like if it somehow sets up an infinite turn combo where every turn you retrace cascading into the same other card which like sets off this chain of events um but eh, whatever forget it and, and, uh, and, Future and Sight, living end doesn't want it because the it the cascade cards that they run are cheaper yeah there's no there's no need i don't think it matters right now uh future site the enchantment i don't think anybody cares like this i don't see this being relevant at all um the one other card I think that we got recently today, and I know you, you're going to talk about crashing footfalls, but before yeah. we do, I just want to point out, I know I just want to point out Ruination Rider, the two mana two, two, when he dies, you deal damage to any target equal to the number of land cards in your graveyard. That is absurdly powerful because you can have like, I mean, if you play like three fetch lands over the course of the game, which is very normal, you're looking at like him dealing three damage when he dies, which is pretty solid pressure. But if you want to make this card work, like you can deal 20 damage with this. I mean, that's a whole deck built around this, but like once he's in play, it's like if he ever dies, you can dome your opponent for so much damage. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a combo deck that plays like 30 lands or has some engine in it that bins cards real fast that then just basically seeks to play and sacrifice a rider to do a ton of damage or some other like seismic assault deck that's already doing a lot of chip damage and then casts a rioter and is like, Oh, what are you gonna do about this? You got no answers because if this dies, you're dead. Um, so I think he is a curious combo piece and I haven't figured out where he goes yet, but I, I think he's worth keeping an eye on. It's an uncommon so unlikely to be financially relevant because I think it's going to slot into one and only one deck if it's if it if it matters. Um, but the power level is certainly there in the right deck. But it's not Rider that goes up. It's what do you play Rider yeah, it's whatever with? You're playing Rider with, sure. That's what you chase. All right, so let's talk about crashing footfalls. People are complaining about this card that it doesn't. The creatures don't have haste. That seems very silly to me. Crashing footballs. Footfalls is a <laughs> crashing footballs. Crashing footfalls is a sorcery with suspend four, and when it comes off suspend, it creates two four four green rhino creature tokens with trample. And I don't think it matters what the suspend is because I don't think you're ever suspending this card. This is meant to be played with things like as foretold, where you play it for free. So you go noble hire, turn two as foretold, turn three crashing footfalls. You have two four four green rhino creature tokens with trample. It's relevant that they have Trample. It's relevant that there's two of them because the best uh, aforementioned best uh, kill in the format 
Bolt, Path, uh, Fatal Push lines up very badly against this card because they can only kill one of them. And I, I think people may sleep on this. I, I could see a Teamer, Suspend deck, Bloodbraid elfing into this and Ancestral Visions, Lightning Bolts, some Asphertolds and stuff being could be a thing. Um, so I will, I, I'm pretty far away from you on this one. I don't think this card's that good. It's fine. Um, the, my problem is that most of the work you're going to do to play this, you're probably better off paid just doing something else. So like the ask for told route, like, yeah, you can play ask for told and then play two, four, four tramples, but you kind of do that without having to play ask for told and this card, you could just play other efficient creatures. Um, and why, you know, if you're going to play ask for told, why aren't you playing like ancestral recall or restore balance or living in? Well, um, you are playing ancestral vision, not recall. Obviously. Pro- you're probably. Yeah, you're probably playing, well, it is recall with Asphertold play, but I just mean, like, if you're going through that work, I feel like the path should be higher. Like, the, if you're going to the Asphertold path, there's, like, I, the path I just I, I find, I, I think that people are going to find 4-4 four, four tramplers, a pair of 4-4 four, four tramplers early in the game, lines up pretty well against a lot of stuff. Like, Tarmogoyfs at 4-5, obviously Trumpet, but you don't really see a lot of Tarmogoyfs in Modern anymore. And Trample lets you put pressure on blockers to get through to key Planeswalkers, and the the format is actually pivoting into being much more uh, Planeswalker dense. There's a lot more Planeswalkers uh, on the blue-white control side of things. There's a lot more Planeswalkers um, likely to show up in other decks. Um, like we talked about how 8-Rack now has Davriel um, in the mix. And I don't think this is like a, like a Snapcaster Mage tier. Not at all. I think this is a solid suspend card. But sure. well- it opens up the possibility of, you know, as foretell decks having an additional way to pressure their opponent and win games. I, I will tell you that I, I don't I don't see this being an as foretold card. I think you were more on the money when you referred to it as being paired with Bloodbraid Elf, because Bloodbraid Elf decks by their nature are gonna be interested in putting creatures into a play and attacking. And this obviously fits that theme very well. On turn one you can suspend it. Um, and then, you know, in those decks might not always have a lot of one drops. So this gives it that option on turn one. And when you start playing your Bloodbraid Elves and you can cascade into this, that's pretty powerful too. You don't get to attack with them that turn, but that's fine. It's uh, an efficient, you know, card advantage set of attackers. And you're right, they're good at attacking Planeswalkers. I, so I don't question that either. I mean, so I think it pairs well with Bloodbraid Elf. But like, I don't see that being an Ask for Told deck. And I don't see it wanting four because if you ever draw this on turn five, you wish you were dead. Um... Bloodbraid Elf isn't just good. It's pretty amazing, actually. That's four mana for a 3-2 haste and two 4-4 four, four tramplers. <laughs> that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> the um, I, I don't think drawing this on five is bad <laughs> if you have As Told because you're getting the two 4-4 four, four tramplers. Um, and it, presumably the rest of the deck is, is not just dumb creatures, right? It's going to have some other interactive elements. Now, I don't think it's a guarantee that this posts up as a staple in modern, but what is what are these currently selling for? I mean, like in a Jund style deck, I can see this getting played, right? Like a J- Bloodbraid Jund that includes this, or maybe a team, maybe a team or build with like as for like one as for told. The problem is like as for told's only good if you're drawing the free spells, and so now you need. How many crashing footfalls and ancestral visions do you need to make your ancestral your as foretold really worth it in that deck? Because again, that's a really miserable late game draw. 
uh so at that point like you could just replace the as foretolds and then ancestral and just the as foretolds with like another useful creature and your blood rate elf can still hit the ancestral visions and the crashing right footfalls i don't know I, I i'm not saying it's awful and if this was a higher suspend cost and time and gave you more creatures then it'd be another story it just feels like it's middle of the road for me but we'll see i'm not, I'm not saying it's impossible at five bucks do you like this card oh no i like this card it 60 cents oh my gosh yeah we're way off i i actually agree with you that i think it's only medium to good um but i really think people are not cluing into what a rare a a playable rare in modern should be worth from horizons i i will so so there's two halves to this there's the how good is the card actually and i am very willing to have my opinion changed by professionals who are good at this type of thing better Mm -hmm. than i am at least uh and yeah and there's the other half of this which is the how much is a card supposed to be worth uh i don't i do think we're gonna have plenty of bulk rares from the set it happens every time um or something you know under a dollar bulk rare essentially how much play does this have to see to be worth five dollars eh, pro- probably more than zero right i i'll put it to you this way for as long as goblin engineer compares favorably in price to this i'm just buying engineers yeah but at two or three dollars, if that's what I end up being able to grab these from from in Europe, like the second I see a solid list where someone says, you know what, this is a real deck, yeah, I'll pick up some copies. <laughs> well, I, I I'm comfortable being more conservative on this type of stuff just because I don't feel like I need to be aggressive with it. And I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay it, with you buying it too and then getting the sell at six and having missed that boat. It's also worth noting that almost no matter how many times they give us as we're told or electro dominance or whatever else casts spells for free, they never seem to consistently top eight anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, and as somebody who owns a large pile of restore balances, I'd hear you loud and clear on that. <laughs> All right. So moving right along. Uh, uh, let's how about can, Hall of Heliod's generosity. All right. Last one, but then I got to go to bed or uh, then I have to eat dinner. I should say. Uh, legendary land taps for colorless one in a white put target enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your library so it's basically uh what's the blue one that does this from way well, back there's volrest the there's volrest stronghold that's the black zombies one. Yeah. and the blue one is the one that returns artifacts which one is that oh uh academy ruins yes so um i love this long term these foils are going to be stunning i hope they're going to be cheap because it's mostly going to be an EDH card, so hopefully Europe will undervalue it, and then I will push in on some foils. Yeah, I wrote about two cards related to this in my article today. One second, of them being second Academy Rector. Yeah, Second Chance is one of them. I mean, that's you're not you can't play it in Modern, obviously. And I mean, again, I own a lot of Second Chance. I own like sixty Second Chance, so just so everyone knows. But like, I mean, infinite turn combo that involves a land that you can just play easily and not worry about anyways, and then you throw a Second Chance in your Commander deck, and then occasionally you just get to put together an infinite turn combo like sure like that just seems so low both of them are this card is totally great without second chance second chance is borderline without it but you get an infinite combo sometimes on accident which is also really good um so you you know you know what foil cycle i want to get in russian once or twice Mm. per box the talismans that was uh, Jason Alt and Brainstorm Breweries uh, reveals this week, their preview cards, and they have finished the Talisman cycle. Talismans are going to be auto-includes in a lot of like 
uh, especially detuned commander decks. And there's only going to be a single source, Modern Horizons, probably for years. And these foils will end up being 10 bucks plus. Uh, yeah, Russian foils are those. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right, now we actually have hit kind of the depths of the new spoilers here, right? Well, we didn't mention Yogmoth, Ran Physician. That's going to be a huge EDH card. Eladomri's Call for Modern seems like people are not talking about it enough. That lets you go tutor a creature. I was actually really surprised. I was surprised to see this on Mythic Spoiler because I did not see a single person mention this on Twitter. Nope. And then I was browsing the website to see what I had missed. I'm like, what? Eladomri's Call? Like, this seems like it could be pretty nuts. Um, especially an- when you have like the Grishel brand decks, okay. right? That but, like might uh, really care about something like that. But also, Vizier Remedies gets to tutor end of turn for the second half of the combo. Yeah, that yeah. seems good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can you can point to that and go, okay, well, why can't I just uh, quarter calling on my turn and do it like that? You can quarter calling anyways, right? Or you can do uh, what is it the the one mana one that you and I really like that has the the conditional on it traverse the Ulven wall like sure. so there are like similar effects this feels comboy to me because it's at instant speed and it's any creature and it's only two mana like you don't have to jump through any hoops um yeah but that is a curious one like with an ilharg deck like attack with my ilharg a lot of Marie's call for emrakul type of thing yeah but. so we are uh lining up a special guest to talk through uh the kind of finale of modern horizons with us next week we'll have more information on that via social media shortly i think that's pretty much a wrap for this week all right where can our listeners find you james you guys can find me on twitter at mtg critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and i am constantly haunting our discord keeping things moving right along and building value for our members and I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday doing the Watchtower series for MTG Price, and I'm in the Discord less frequently, and I try to devalue our memberships. We have a nice <laughs> seesaw going. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. And let me tell you, that's about to go up. So this is your last warning. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. I will also call out Rakana hanging out in our Discord. Uh, You have won the $25 gift certificate with Cool Stuff Inc., Congratulations. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of episode 170. It was good to be back. Thanks to Cliff, Word of Commander, for filling in for me last week while I was uh, mid-move. Almost had to do it this week. (laughs) Um, I really enjoyed being back this week, and I look forward to doing it again next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs)